That's your decision now, don't I? This is the Black Rifle Coffee Podcast. All right, we're here to uh, review Mike's new book. It's called First Blood. Um, I've read it before, but I think it's, it's going to be good. What do you think? I actually wrote it in high school right. and had it made into a movie before I ever got out of high school. Really? People don't realize that. Yeah. Well, hey, you've <laughs> been around. Plus, you look a lot different on the back of the... Yeah, the, well, the, that's that's an artist rendering. It's like, a, it's oh. like, you know those guys that do sketches for like courthouses and stuff like right. that? We had them like draw what they thought I might look like based right. on the book, and that's what they came up with. I love it. Yeah. I mean, that stash. Right? Like, that's pretty that's, epic. That's what I'm going that's, for. That's pure fucking 1970s right you, there. Oh. You still have that turtleneck? Or? Yeah. I wear nothing but turtlenecks typically. <laughs> and if I can't wear a turtleneck, I'll wear a dicky. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, Solid With a like, sport jacket or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a good look. I think, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I don't know if you guys know who Ilya Kuryakin was, but that's the look that I'm basically going for. No, um, I don't. I don't know who that is. That was the most obscure the original, reference I've ever heard. It was in my from life. the original Man Man from Uncle TV series. Wow. Yeah. It was, How it, old are you? I'm 55. Oh, you yeah, look but great. I have an appreciation you look for things. Great. 55. I I thought you were gonna say like 45. Oh, thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Man no. from Uncle. Yeah. Fuck, man. Yeah. Now, my Man from Uncle is before my time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it's uh, <laughs> it weird story when I was a when I was a prison guard, um, there were, it ended up one night that I was on for a 12-hour shift. There was a Man from Uncle marathon on TCM or right. whatever, and I ended up watching the whole thing. So, Who, who was watching the prisoners? Um, we, we would shift back and forth. So oh, okay. it was, at, at night, it was only two of us. So one of us would sit in the, we'd sit in the control room for usually an hour right. and then switch. Uh, and... and there wasn't a whole lot to do. It was a pretty small institution. So you basically you say, you, you like, walked around. When you were on the floor, you walked around every 15 <clears> minutes and there was these electronic cards that you had to put into this little box. It showed that you were actually walking around, checking, hmm. making sure everything was, was locked and everything. But, so it wasn't like at night, the prisoners do justice. Right? No, 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 there's nothing really like that. So. That's it's disappointing. I know. Yeah. I, I wanted that story to be so much better. Like I, when you said... <laughs> Prison. I wanted you to say, when I was in prison. That's okay. like that's how I thought it would be. Like, and then there, you could tell us like that time when you were like, you know, shanking some dude. Yeah. Or, but no, I was never in prison. I was in jail. I got right. I got arrested. I was home on leave when I was in one seven five, and I got arrested once and yeah. spent the night in jail. So that ended up like screwing me for so long. I almost didn't right. get a Texas medical license because of that. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not kidding you. So, What'd you do? So yeah. Okay. I love this podcast so, yeah, so much. It's a pause. <laughs> right. Actually, so, I, did, I didn't do it. Just okay, so you guys no, no, know. no. So, so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna try to say, you know, that, that I was, I wasn't out handing out Bibles, and you know, just in the wrong place at right. the wrong time. You weren't. So, it so was, first of all, you weren't out handing out Bibles. Yes. Okay. Right. So it was a Thursday night. We were in a bar watching Thursday night football. Right. I was 20, so I was underage. Yep. But I was used to living in Georgia, where I was going to bars all the time. Anyway. So we're in there drinking and uh, somebody who was not actually even with us ended up getting really rowdy and the police ended up being called and ended up, everybody went outside to watch the fracas that was going to occur between this guy and the, and the local police. 
And it ended up being a lot of people kind of yelling, surrounding the police and yelling and uh, some people making threats. I was trying to be the voice of reason in all this. And what I ended up doing is one guy who ran towards one of the cops, I ended up actually grabbing him around the waist, throwing him over my shoulder and then throw him in a pickup to get him out of there. Mm. And we left and then we ended up going back to get our cars. We left a bunch of cars there. So we went back to get our cars. Now there's six patrol cars of police officers there and it's, it's well, we're just going to arrest everybody and we'll sort it out later. So I got arrested for a uh, minor establishment that serves alcohol, uh, drunk in public, even though they never gave me uh, any type of sobriety test. Um, assault on a police officer, resisting arrests. So resisting arrest is always just kind of thrown in there. Right. So um, spent the night in, in jail. Uh, they did, we didn't even have to get bail the next morning. They just let us go. Right. And then uh, when it went up, uh, when it finally went to court, which was like six months later, I was back in Savannah and my lawyer appeared uh, and they ended up basically... Uh, this was the age before computers. Right. So an expungement back then could be a real expungement because the only record would be on paper. Sure. So basically what the judge did is he said, all right, I'm going to take this entire arrest record. I'm going to put it in the safe in my office. And if I don't hear Mike Simpson's name for a year, then I'm going to shred all this. And it never happened. So it it's really is a true expungement. Mm. Like there's no yeah, yeah. record of it. Until now. Where that screwed me is when I went to get a Texas medical license, it tells you, even if something's been expunged, you better be honest about it. Right. right? So I was Wrote honest it about it. Right. And then they said, okay, you need to get paperwork from California saying exactly how that got wrapped up. Where there's multiple problems with that. The first of which being none of those records. This was 1980. Uh, we just got back from Honduras. 1987. Right. None of those records have been transferred into the computer. Right. So there really is no record of it unless they're unless it's like Raiders of the Lost Ark, they're in a big fucking warehouse somewhere. And the second problem is California has a law that you if you call Cal the state of California and say, I need a I needed my criminal record, they will give it to you. But if you call the state of California and say you need his criminal record because you want to employ him, they absolutely will not give it to you. That law has been in effect for a while. And the way employers were getting around that in California is you'd come in and interview for a job with me. And I'd say, well, look, I can't get your criminal record. But if you want this job, you get your criminal record and you bring it to me in the envelope that it was mailed in. Right. Right. Well, then California found out that employers were doing that. So then they amended the law to say an individual may not request their own criminal record if it is for the purpose of giving to another agency. Interesting. Yeah. Right. So when I call, but they won't tell you that. Right. I called California. I said, this is why I need my record. And they, there was like a long pause and they said, you can't have it. I was like, what? And they didn't say you can't have it because of X, Y, and Z. Right. They said, you can't have it. I ended up having to get the JSOC JAG involved. And the JSOC JAG was able to pull up the record. And, I, and I'm trying to explain this to the state of Texas. Right. I can't get the record. You know, I can't hold a gun to the state of California's head. And make them be interesting if you could. Be interesting if you could. Yeah. yeah. Granted, I can probably kick half the state's ass easily. Easily. Right. Yeah. Easily. But I, uh, that's mm. not going to accomplish anything. So I had to get a, a letter from the JSOG JAG saying, this is why he can't get that record. Give him his fucking medical license. And then I got my medical license. So holy shit. Stop. I really did not expect to <laughs> discuss right. on the podcast today. But I think it's great. Have you, have you been arrested? I have. Yeah. Anything by, for by MPs, though, not like regular. 
Oh, not right. actual not, cops. Not real no. police. Not real police. Yeah. Just people who join the military to, to be be bad to their to to police other to write to write yeah. parking tickets. And, yeah. Yeah. Well, they arrested me. What'd they arrest you for? It's <sighs> a good story. Sorta. We're here. So I was in, We're here for a story. I was time. in BNOC, the basic non-commissioned officer. Oh course. yeah, BNOC, of course. In Fort Benning, Georgia. Like, don't and, fucking uh, pussyfoot around. Like I'm trying to get some coffee. Come on. Come on. We were get in here, at, boy. Uh, Let's go. Thank you. No, none, none for... Yeah. Uh, now you know. Knowing's half the battle. Yeah, so I, I was out like some weekend, me and all my buddies from BNOC, and I met a young lady who was attending the basic officer leadership course, the oh, second yeah. lieutenant. Okay, good. So we decided to go back to her lodging, right. which was barracks. Right. And uh, I snuck past the CQ of that, whatever. Using ranger ninja skills. Yeah. Right? Basically just like having her open another door and me going in it. Oh, right. And Jason Bourne shit. Usually then, there's a broom handle involved. <laughs> a broom handle and a fire exit involved. <laughs> so that, that CQ came and approached me and was like, hey, you got to get out of here. And I was like, yeah, fuck you, bud. Right. And took off. I guess I'm out now. I can tell the real story. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to get well, it. I just want to interject. That CQ would have given it. If she wasn't hot, he wouldn't have given a shit. Oh, no, for sure. For yeah. sure. Yeah, so he <laughs> came up like, to get me out of there and was like, give me your ID card. Give me your ID. I was like, fuck you, dude. And then at this point, I was like, I should probably leave. Yeah. And uh, I used a little bit of physical force oh, to leave. Oh, jiu-jitsu. Yeah. Uh, ninjutsu. Like, ninjutsu. Like, yeah, like yeah I like that. Jitsu, yeah, actually. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I just kind of swam out of him. Right. And then... Uh, MPs came, figured out who I was, where I was from. They came down and arrested me. And uh, what, what did they arrest you for? Uh, it was like battery uh, or something. Oh, I left a part out, so I'm forgetting parts of it. When you took that pipe to his as head. I was leaving, uh, it was the Bolick barracks. So like all these like like new second lieutenants, they had this like display in the hallway. Like they had all their kit laid out in in like dress right dress such a yeah. way. So as I left, I kind of like. Did some stuff to it, it. you right, know, right. just flipped yeah. it around, had some fun with it. Of course. And uh, so it was, they arrested me for intent to, theft with the intent to sell of government property. So Interesting. They, they basically said, oh, he was trying to steal stuff. I was like, I'm not stealing, I was just throwing a bunch of shit around because you guys right. didn't secure your shit over the weekend. Right. Um, but yeah, I spent the night in like basically the Fort Benning drunk tank mm. and then one of the cadre from b came and picked me up and I was like I was in Ranger Battalion at the time I was like oh I'm fucked like right. I'm gonna get kicked out of Battalion I'm gonna get kicked out of b and this guy came down he's like hey what's up bud and just like alright see I was like is anything gonna happen he's like no I don't think so <laughs> and nothing happened uh, anyway not a very good story but that is a good story that is a good story she was she was a very attractive young lady I don't, I don't even remember her name but I would if you're out there yeah you're out there yeah. You know, <laughs> Missed connection. He's uh, got a A-team looking van. It's yeah. quite nice. I yeah. like it. Oh, yeah. So, yeah Missed connection. Nice. You were a young, fresh-faced second lieutenant. Mm -hmm. I was an NCO flinging TA-50. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> she's, she's probably a battalion commander now. You know? Probably. Yeah. Yeah, and like, I would love to see you guys get back together. Super <laughs> fucking romance story of the age. And if it happened yeah. because of this podcast, that would be all the better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she was great. So, First Blood, this was one of the books that um, made 
made a lot of sense to me because have you read this book? Never read it. Obviously, okay. I've seen the, the so film. Everybody has. It is yeah. a book about a psychopath, basically, because it's a it's a big departure from the movie. Yeah. Well, in the in the book, from what I understand, he deserves to get arrested. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to ruin it for anybody. Like I, I've this is a first edition, and it's not me flexing on the podcast. I, I was this is a gift. By uh, Tom Davin, my co-CEO, gave me the first edition. and um, But what it is, is a recommendation for everybody out there to read this because it is such a good book. And it's a book about basically, um, you know, a psychopath. But it's very good and you should read it. Uh, but that leads me to my question because I read this back in the day. And I was like, you know what? These, these Green Berets seem like pretty big badasses. He's highly disappointed later in life, but um, weren't we all? Yeah. <laughs> for, for being honest, weren't we all? Uh huh. Right? We were. But what are you guys talking about? What were you? What Jericho was in Range Battalion. You were in Range Battalion. Mm-hmm. I was never. Uh, I was never there. But what led you guys? Then, you, then you don't know. I don't know. What, <laughs> I, I don't know what it was all about. <laughs> I can just imagine, you know, like short haircuts and you know a lot of. Who's uh who hoorahs and stuff, right? In Fifteen of, minutes early yeah. and buffing the floor, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but what led you guys to join to begin with? And was it was it like books? Was it movies? Was it uh, a family member? Like, let me let me let me hear let me hear what you got. So uh, I spent my formative years in a in a small town called mm, Tehachapi, California. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, blue collar upbringing, right? Hunting coyotes and rabbits, and and uh, you know walking down the middle of the middle of town with a 22 rifle over my shoulder, right. um, you know, pickup trucks and keg parties and barns and all that shit. Right. Um, that's, and that, and kind of a combination of, uh, my involvement in, in sports, appreciating teamwork, appreciate being a part of something larger than yourself and putting yourself through a physical crucible to, to be a better version of yourself type mm-hmm. thing. This was also the 1980s, so being a patriot had become cool again, right? This, oh, yeah. this was the Reagan era, right? right? Um, so my best friend growing up, a guy who was a year uh, older than me, who you may know or know of, a guy by the name of Brian Edwards, he ultimately became the command sergeant major of SF Command. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Brian and I were best friends growing up. He's a year older than me. And right about the time, maybe I was a freshman and he was a sophomore, maybe even a little bit before that, we started talking about military stuff and you know, watching military movies and learning about stuff and going and talking to the recruiter and figuring out, you know, what airborne units were and what Rangers were and what SF was and talking even to the Navy recruiter about SEALs and talking to the Marine recruiter about force recon. Um, and ultimately at that time, the, the army seemed the biggest fit because the, the army was the only branch that would guarantee you at least a shot right off the street. Right. If you wanted for, to be like a shot for what? Like, like a shot, a shot for one of these special operations units, or you know, like, oh, right. or, or yes, you're gonna you're gonna be an unassigned airborne slot. You, you, you could have gone. Was it? Are you talking only Ranger Regiment, or they would have given you an SF slot? So the then? year before I I went on delayed entry, you could still do an SF slot. Really? Yeah, and that's what Brian did. Like a, they had like an 18 X ray. It wasn't called that, but that was essentially what it was. Huh. Right. And uh, to hear Brian describe it, you had an interesting collective in your class because you would have guys who were literally PFCs mm-hmm. who had gone, you know, basic training, airborne school. Now they're at Bragg on Smoke Bomb Hill. 
you had those guys, and then you had regular army guys who'd been in the 82nd or somewhere else, right, and and had put in paperwork to go. And then you had, uh, even in your class, you had like Vietnam-era guys who had either, you know, were on the younger end of the Vietnam spectrum. Right. And had done a little bit of regular army stuff, or maybe had been to Vietnam, gotten out for a while, and now, again, it's, it's cool to be in the military again, and, and right. I don't want to do that, so I came back in. Um, they didn't have that when I went to sign up. They decided, okay, we want to go to this. We, we want more mature guys. Um, it, it wasn't like the x-ray program ended up being, mm. where it was a more intensive pipeline where they were kind of on top of you to herd you through. It was more catch as catch can. So the attrition rate among those guys, like Brian, mm. was really, really high. Right. Like it really was the, you know, 100 will test today and three are going to make it. Right. Out of those guys who came in right out of high school. So they said, we're not getting our return for that. So we're going to go to recruiting out of, out of a larger military pool. So the only uh, option available to me was, I say only, was Ranger Regiment. But ultimately that was the absolute best thing for me. Mm. So I... I I'm so thankful that that was the only option that I had because I think if I had gotten the SF option out, out of the street, off, off the street right out of high school, I don't think that would have been a good fit for me. I think I, I needed some maturing. Well, plus you probably would have been fat now. You know yeah, what I mean? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good joke only for uh, people that so that's inside a, jokes. Somebody posted inside it. jokes. It's you the, and I are both members of a Facebook yeah. forum where you don't post very much. I don't. Um, I just talk shit in there. Yeah, I don't so, actually talk shit. I just like chime in because you know somebody will chime in and say something about like you know me being a cock or something, and I'll be like, "What? What are you guys talking yeah, about?" Yeah, that we can get into that <laughs> yeah, later. Yeah. The whole fucking the whole well, the it's whole like, we forget Evans in here, so we're gonna talk shit about yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh yeah. man, uh, and then I'm like, I'm right here. You guys just ask me some yeah. questions. Like I check in on this like every two years. Yeah. So I mean, two years I might respond. You right. Know? Yeah. <laughs> Somebody posted the other day, they posted a picture of uh, Vincent D'Onofrio from some movie where I guess he plays a former SF guy. Right. He's got an SF crest hat and he's, he's Vincent D'Onofrio. Yeah, right? yeah. He's, he's not fucking, he's not Richard Simmons. Right? right. And somebody, and he posted it and I posted as a comment, I said, looks like 90% of retired team guys. And somebody immediately said, that's, that's fucking mean, but also accurate. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, when did we, is this like a sidetrack, but it's like, like, man, all this, all of a sudden dudes are so sensitive. Yeah. And you're like, man, you realize that like in the, in the team room or even in like, you know, as a company, like we fucking brutalize each other. Oh, and it's dude. like, but now, now because we're not, we're not under the same roof. Like you think that it's like, it's. We got to be nice to one another. Yeah, well, like, it, fuck you. Like, because, you, you know, know what's happened nice. is they've been so accustomed to being worshipped on the cul-de-sac. Oh yeah, right. That now that now mm. that they're interjected in with a bunch of right. like, alphas again. <laughs> yeah, they're like, oh whoa, hey, like everybody on the cul-de-sac kisses my ass. Why? <laughs> why am I not getting that from you guys? I'm not. I guess essentially we are bagging on our brothers in arms. But I mean, I'm, I don't not at all. I love those. Yeah, I love none them. of this is with hatred. No, and, yeah, no, no. At, at all. You know. No. Um, I have friends who will specifically call me because they're like, I want you to kind of be mean to me. Like, <laughs> because everybody I work with, like, if I try to break their balls or anything, it's, it's like you could hear a pin drop. And they're like, come on, man, just just tell me what a piece of shit I am. Yeah. Like, like, all right, yeah, here yeah. you go. We, all, we need that honesty. You need that yeah. accountability. I remember that on those very rare occasions in SF where you would actually have a company formation and you'd all be standing there. And, and you're so... 
unaccustomed to being in formations that they make you be there ridiculously early because they know they have to. <laughs> so you're standing around waiting for whatever it is. And none of you want to be there. So it starts to be devolve into like the Hunger Games. Right. Which, hey, I don't normally get to make fun of that guy on that team, but I'm going I'm three to. ranks back. And I'm going to talk, <laughs> boy, you're fucking, look at the size of his ears. You know, it's in this whole back and forth starts to occur um, that uh, occasionally can get out of hand. Occasionally. I, I think it's, it's fun. I mean, that's that's part of the culture in the community, right? It's like it's like making fun of each other is something that's inherent to it. I heard the story about Jericho recently, which I love, and I'm going to tell it for you because I worked with this uh, this guy later in life that he was in Ranger Battalion with, and um, he he called me because where were you guys at? You were at like a we were in Graf Graf and Beer, yeah. Well, no, not this one. I'm not. Oh. I'm not talking about that one. I'm talking about the Alex Signs. <laughs> Alex Signs story. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I was we, laughing so hard. So my buddy, uh, we worked at, at uh, JRS later in life, and he was. Were you? I was. His, I was his rip attack. Yeah. Oh, rasp. right. Now, rip then. Yeah. Yeah. And so this, this from what Alex told me, and Alex is like. Six two, what do you think? Big he's big, yeah, he's big, and he's like, he's like farm strong kid, yeah. right? Six two, and he's he's a incredibly like generous, great guy. I, I would imagine going through, he's probably just a really nice kid. Yeah, that's what I would imagine because he's always been super nice. So I would yeah. imagine that's that's the way he would act. But he remembers Jericho because he was saying, yeah, he told me that there was no way that I was going to pass this course that he wasn't going to let me under, under any circumstance, but you can stay if you want. It's just going to be brutal. And he's like, I would get, you know, in his mind, he was like, he was getting two or three times, whatever everybody else did. And then he told him, as you guys were going to get the beret ceremony, right? Was that what it On was? On the way to graduation. Yeah. yeah. On the way to graduation, he's like, hey, you can wear, you told him, hey, you can wear your beret for this, but you're going back to the needs of the army and I'm going to take it away from you. <laughs> <laughs> one last one last chance to get somebody to quit, man. Yeah. 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 And so Alex is like, fuck, man. Like, I I went through this entire <laughs> thing. And now this dude is telling me I gotta give the beret back at the yeah. end. And I could hear that he was still hurt by this <laughs> as a 40-year-old man on the phone. <laughs> and that's yeah. It, I took my job seriously, right? Like, yeah. I had to say, attrition was my mission. That's yeah, what I would say. Attrition was my mission. And yeah. If if I'm going to be able to break you, like, yeah. you're that mentally weak where you believe that and you're going to quit. Like, right, cool. Yeah. Later. I got you. Well, it's the, it's the equivalent of when you go out on the run and then you come back to the company area and everybody's like, oh, we're done. And then you bypass the company area and keep going. And then five fuckers will fall out. Yep. Like, ah, uh, they only had enough mental strength to make it that far. And it's like, if we're running farther, I can't do it. Yeah. I uh, had, uh, when I was a cadre, I called it shaking hands and kissing babies. Right. You can get 40 dudes together and smoke them all together. Nobody's going to quit. Right. You start making them think that you noticed them. And yeah, <laughs> oh, you're going to get dudes dropped. Like, Cause they're like, oh, I'm just doomed. They're going to doomed. I'm doomed. I might as well just quit, you know? And I learned that like when I went, Going back to what made you want to yeah, yeah. Yeah, join, yeah. you know? Yeah, we got to answer that So one. my dad was a, my dad was in Ranger 10. He's a grenade raider. Um, 
But back then, it was before the regiment was formed. So the battalions were like, not quite, they were special operations, but they weren't under the SOCOM umbrella. I didn't realize that. that. So in Grenada, the battalions were not formed? The battalions were formed. There was not regiment a regiment. Wasn't oh, there wasn't a regiment. Yeah, okay, that's, so that's how were the battalions That's why the scrolls organized. were different. Yeah, because yeah. I've, I've yeah, I didn't yeah. realize that. It was, I know the scroll was like way different. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it was a it was a very loose affiliation. It's like the scrolls were different. The flash was the same. The heraldry was the same. Yeah. A lot of the so a lot of the SOPs were the same. What yeah. was the command structure? Where did they report they, to? They so like two seven five fell under I Corps. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure about for huh. I don't remember. Yeah. We got regiment stepped in shortly after I got there. So I don't yeah. even remember who. So in, wow. after Grenada, they were like, this is cool. Let's make more of this. Yeah. Right. Well, right. And, and, and during, it's important. So Grenada, because, uh, so when Grenada happened and the 82nd came in and relieved him in place and the Rangers were like, all right, we, we get back on the plane and we leave. And the ground commanders were like, no, that's not the way it works. You're opcon to us now. So that was, a, that was the beginnings. The beginnings of JSOC was kind of already rolling. Huh. But that was what really kicked the spurs to everything, not only with JSOC, but also with Ranger Regiment, so that they could say, no, 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 we need to never have a situation where our special operations assets are opcon to any regular army. Because they were, they were literally going to say, no, no, no you're going you're to stay here and do what we tell you to do mm-hmm. until... The ground commander releases you, um, and they didn't want to be in a situation like that again. So did they? So was he in second battalion? Mm-hmm. How many battalions were there? There back then there were just two. There were just two. There was first battalion, seventy fifth infantry, airborne was interesting, and then second battalion, seventy fifth infantry, airborne. Was, huh. yeah. This is fucking cool. I didn't realize yeah. that. Yeah. So, but going like back then it was very different. You know, it wasn't, right. you weren't you weren't fenced. Like yeah. all those things, and my dad was a medic, so like he spent his like three and a half, four years in Ranger Battalion, and then went out, went to the eighty second, went all right. Um, but always growing up, serving in the Rangers was like his pinnacle. He always right. looked back on that with the most like he loved it. Mm-hmm. All of his like career long friends that he made in the army, they're all Rangers, right? Right, they're all those guys. So I always like looked at that point. I knew I wanted to be in the army or the military, but I always looked at that point in his career as like, oh. And then my brother, my brother's six years older than me, uh, graduated high school five years before because he's dumb. He <laughs> failed a grade. Uh, <laughs> he got held back because he was incorrigible. My parents right. punished him. Anyway, he went in in 92. He went to 3rd Ranger Battalion. Um, so I knew I was going to join the military in some way, shape, or form. Um, but my dad really encouraged me like, hey, just because uh, we're Rangers, like, you don't have to do that. Like, he really wanted me to be a PJ. He really pushed me in that direction because he felt that I would be treated better. My quality of life would be. Does he not great. like you? I, dude, man, that's a bullet like I dodged. A, yeah, right. I'm so glad I did not. Not to. So, not so to he has a favorite son. He wanted to get. You're not it. He, just, he wanted a free. <laughs> he wanted a free sawzall, and he saw that. Where he's like, yeah, wait, hey, listen, yeah, son, like, <laughs> listen, like there are hunters and there are gatherers. You look to me like more like a gatherer. You could I guess, be yeah, a good I was, gatherer. I was a gentle kid, you know? <laughs> um, when uh, I see you, I think enabler. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I see you like being able to parachute, but more like a nurse, you know? <laughs> like yeah. You're more like a nurse. He, at the end of the day, like, he did give me some good advice. He was like, he absolutely didn't want me to go in the army and be a ranger. But when he would talk, because he was a medic, he'd be right. like, if you ever do that, just 
just be a grunt, just be an infantry guy. Cause, right. And it's in hindsight now, I'm like, that was just sour grapes for my dad. He's like, those infantry guys didn't do shit. I had to do their job plus all this extra stuff. Right. You know, and I'm like, that's bullshit, dad. But um, so yeah, I actually, when I joined, I told him I was just going to MEPS to take the ASVAB for the Air Force to have him sign the form. And uh, he went and picked me up from like the recruiting, you know, the, all the recruiters are like in the same. So yeah, he came yeah, to pick me up. Yeah. He's like, what'd you get on the test? I was like, uh, good. I joined the army with a ranger contract. He's like, what the <laughs> fuck? He was, he was pissed for about 20 seconds. And then he like got all, he's like, I'm proud of you. And it was like a good dad moment. That is awesome. Yeah. But uh, that's, I mean, it's pretty, that's what led me there. But it wasn't always, it, it's not like I always knew I was going to go to Ranger Battalion. I, I looked at, you know, the Navy and same thing for me. The Army was the only entity that would guarantee you a shot at the title, mm, right? right? Like you couldn't, you couldn't join the Marines with, like the Marines when I joined wouldn't even guarantee you an MOS. Oh, it are was, you kidding me? No. And that, that was really common that in the 80s, it's like you, they will tell you what they need. Navy was the same way because I took my ASVAB with the Navy and they're like, they looked at my ASVAB score. They said, you're going on a nuclear sub. Right. And I'm like, what if I don't want to? And they're like, you're going on a nuclear sub. Right. Like, that's what you're signing up for. And what they didn't tell me, because they were still telling me the, oh, and when you get to A school, you can volunteer for BUDS. Mm. But what they didn't tell me is, oh, and since we're giving you the nuclear sub MOS, which has like this many people in it, you'll never, any request to get out. Will never yeah. happen. It's like at that time, the nuclear guys and the sonar techs, there was like no way that you could ever get out of that job. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's no way. I played hockey in high school with a kid. He joined the Navy, same time as me. And that, yeah, he did like 20 years on nuclear subs. I think it's pronounced nuclear, though. I nuclear, nuclear, yeah, nuclear. nuclear. I don't know. I, I always, um, always default to whatever anybody else is saying around me because it just makes more sense. I that's how I've actually learned how to speak. Like, <laughs> just listen to the radio and then mimic. I don't actually know the. I, I am also in the in the story of how I came to join the army with a ranger contract. I am also giving myself a little too much credit because back then, remember the recruiters had like a VHS and they would be like, "I'm going to oh, show yeah, you yeah, the yeah. DJ video or yeah. I'm going to show you the SEAL video." Yeah, yeah. I'm going to um, show you the video of your mom and I. I what? hate, I hate swimming. You do? Don't like it still to this day. I'm a little bit better now because I can do it on my own terms, but I'm right. like, I'm not a big pool person. Right. I'm not a big swimming in, in like bodies of water that I can't see to the bottom person. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. So I really wasn't interested in going through a pipeline that swimming was a large part of. Right. I didn't have a lot of faith in my ability to pass that pipeline. Mm. So that was, that, that weighed in a little bit. Right. You know, you go to rip, you just swim 15 meters and you're, kid, you're, good. you're good to go. Yeah. So... I couldn't yeah. see you as anything else. I mean, just knowing you now, you I couldn't really see you. I could, you know, you just seem like a, a you know, ranger. Yeah. You know, like yeah. It, <laughs> I, I used to get that all the time. I'm like, were you in Ranger Battalion? Because you're short and angry. It seems like you were there. And I'm like, kind I wasn't. It's, 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 it's your short and angry. requisite at time. Like, yeah. You know, yeah. So what, what year did you get in? 84. 84? Yeah. June of 84 is when I enlisted. When, when did you retire? Uh, 2016. Oh. Yeah. 
Fucking A. Yeah. So you got to walk me through the history of what, what all you did because this is, this is pretty impressive. So I did, uh, I did four years in 175. Mm-hmm. So I was, in an, uh, I was in a 90 millimeter recoilless rifle section. It's, that was what we had at the time. I was actually uh, one of two guys that wrote up the proposal to get the Carl Gustav. Mike Hall was the other one. We did it together, actually, because he had started out, his Sergeant Major Hall started out as a 90 gunner. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had a lot of conversations. It was, it was a weird time because uh, ammo for the, for the 90 millimeter close rifle had not been made since 1967. Really? So we had stockpiles yeah. of it. And then a bunch of it ended up getting sold to the Mexican Federales because they had gun jeeps at the time, right? Um, so we were always looking for a replacement and the Carl G ended up being the, uh, the obvious choice for it, right? Um, but of course, it, this was, everything was different back then. So it was battalion rip at the time, not even regimental yeah. rip. Um, uh, I was the second to last battalion rip class. When I went to pre-ranger, I went to a, a regimental pre-ranger. Um, we had a, each company had a weapons platoon, which was your anti-tank assets and your mortar assets and your fire direction center assets. Um, I did four years there and my original plan had been, all right, I'm going to do, this is going to be a fun four years thing that I do something cool and yeah. adventurous. And then, and then I'm going to get out. And, and my plan was to go into law enforcement. I wanted to be, a, I, for some reason, I, I had read a lot of articles about the SWAT team in Denver, Colorado. And right. I'm, like, I'm like, that looks like a cool place to live and mountains and uh, their SWAT team looks badass. I remember uh, there was an article, they were one of the first uh, SWAT teams to get an actual armored vehicle. Right. And there was like, there was all these articles in newspapers and right. magazines about it. Um, so that was my plan is, okay, I'm going to get out after four and I'm going to go into law enforcement. So I went and took the test, took the written test and the physical test and did the, the board you have to sit in front of to get on Savannah PD. And right after I did that, immediately after I did that, I got a letter that said, we're on a hiring freeze. So I ended up moving to, uh, Statesboro, Georgia, just down the road. Right. And I said, oh, I'm going to go to college. So I, I uh, started uh, to take classes at Georgia Southern. I worked as a corrections officer. So I worked as a prison guard at night and all this time, I wanted to keep a connection to the military. Right. So I was in 20th group. and uh, Out of Alabama? or where, where? Out of Florida. Oh, Florida. Yeah, yeah. I lived, okay. I lived in, you know, between Savannah and then Statesboro. So right. it was a pretty easy clip to drive down to, mm-hmm. to North Florida. Um, so uh, I was in 20th group. Uh, wanted to go and do the Q course as soon as possible. It didn't work out that way for a number of reasons I won't get into. But what ended up happening is by the time I got out in 88, by the time uh, Desert Shield, Desert Storm happened, I still hadn't been to the Q course. So we mobilized, went to Fort Bragg, and then two days later, I was in SFAS with no train up. They said, we're going to get to Fort Bragg. We're going to give you like a month to six weeks to train up, and then you're going to go to selection. And the second day there, they said, hey, there's going to be a bus downstairs tomorrow at 7 uh, you, all you guys need to be on it. Well, where are we going? You're going to SFAS. When? Tomorrow. You're going to SFAS tomorrow. Oh, I was like, okay. So uh, did selection, made it through selection, uh, win the 18 Charlie Pipeline, finished the Q course, went into language school. And by that time, I'd figured out, you know what? I wasn't really applying myself in college. Right. Um, although I haven't worked in law enforcement, I've interacted with enough people in law enforcement now to know that maybe that's not what I want to do. And I really did miss all this. You know, I miss regularly jumping out of airplanes and playing with explosives and, and being around like-minded individuals right. at the top of their game. So I said, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to go back to, to that life. I'm going to stay on active duty. So 
notified 20th group. They were very supportive. I got a letter of acceptance to 7th group. I had to retake the ASVAB test because... <laughs> Yeah, that was kind of weird because it after the Q course. Yeah, so I took so weird after the Q course as a as a as a <laughs> Ranger qualified, um, uh, SF qualified, language qualified staff sergeant. I had to retake the ASVAB test. What would have happened if you'd bolo'd that thing, like gotten a twelve? That's a good question. Like, because yeah, because yeah, you have to have a one ten to get into SF. Yeah. What if I would have got a one oh nine? But I had an SF tab. Would've, sorry, bud. You know, yeah, sorry. Sorry, bud. You're going to Cook and Baker School. I, I don't know what would have happened. Um, so I had to retake the ASVAB test. I went back through MEPS again. Uh, <laughs> what? The what? Fuck? Yeah. So I'm in MEPS. I'm in MEPS with all these. Did people you do like, the duck walk in your underwear? All yeah, all nice. that shit. Yeah, it, you know, all that bullshit. I still had to do. So it was it was crazy. You know, all with all these people who were in high school. And I'm in there doing. You're like this. fucking blowing my mind. That yeah. makes no sense. It, were you it, like it, locking up the kids and made in no sense. I didn't say shit, but it was. <laughs> you know, you have all the. Yeah, I, I, that's when I realized because you know, again, I'm and I'm in civilian clothes. That's when I realized how many fucking smarmy fucking E fives oh, work yeah. at fucking Meps. Great. <laughs> and I'm, and they don't know who you are. You're just yeah. and they figure, oh, he's a little bit older, which means yeah. he probably failed out of college and he has right. nothing fucking going on in his life, right? Right. <laughs> So that's why he's here. Um, went to seventh group uh, as an 18 Charlie and enjoyed it immensely, um, but wanted something a little bit different and really respected the medics uh, on my team that I'd work with. And uh, you respected the 18 Deltas. Yeah, tremendously. Because huh. as an 18 Charlie, I would look at the 18 Deltas and I'm like, you know, people will question me. Yeah. You know, like, you know, the, the team sergeant and the, the, the warrant They'll, they'll question me about engineer shit. They'll question the Bravo about Bravo shit. They'll as maybe they, even question the Echo about Echo shit. Nobody ever questions the medic. Yeah, you're right. Like Doc, everybody yeah. looks at Doc and they go, Doc's an yeah, expert. He's good. Yeah. Doc's, we're not going to question Doc. Right. Whatever Doc says, it's good. And plus, Doc's always doing his real job. Right. You know, because people are always really getting hurt. Right. I'm carrying around blocks of fucking wood. Right. Pretending that they're C4. Right. He's got real injured people all the time, right. right? And plus, I I was really big. I was starting to kind of rediscover uh, the the higher cerebral functions in my brain and and really enjoy mental challenges mm-hmm. and things like that. And I was always asking the medic questions. He's like, "You should go to the medic course. You should go to the medic course." And ultimately, um, I had some personal shit that went down, and I'm like, "You know what? I need to get away from Fort Bragg." Right. This is when the uh, the medic course was still uh, here in, in San, San Antonio. Houston, yeah. Yeah. So I said, uh, all right, now's, now's the time. Now's right. the time for me to go. So put in the paperwork. Um, what, what year was that? That was the 90, uh, end of 94 was when I did the paperwork. Okay. So I started the, the 300 F1 course here in San Antonio in 95. Right. So my, back to my dad, mm-hmm. he was a medic in battalion. He went to the, it was, he was in the first group of Rangers that they sent mm. to 300 F1. Oh, okay. really? Yeah. And my dad was the honor grad. <laughs> so it was like, uh, like a top gun scenario. Right. Where what, like, what year was that? That was eight. We moved down here, eighty five, eighty four, eighty five. Doc Krumick was in his class. He was a medic in my company. He went to the he went to the course in like eighty two or eighty three. We moved wow. down here for him to be. That an was instructor. about the time. Yeah. Oh, he was an instructor. Oh, he was an instructor. Here. Here yeah. So okay. because he'd been and was like the honor guard, they were like, "Well, you're not SF qualified, but you can be an instructor at the course because yeah. right. you killed the course." Right. Yeah. So yeah, we lived in San Antonio. My dad was an instructor at three hundred F one as. A ranger, okay, so to speak. Um, 
But yeah, in that same time, I think we were, you think he was here, he was there like 84, 85-ish to like 87, 88-ish. Okay. We had one ranger in my class. There were two in the class behind me. Yeah. So, and there were a couple guys in my class, guys like Rody Fields, who had gone through as a ranger and now we're going back through again oh. uh, as, a, as a long tabber. So Rody had gone through, uh, gone through 300 F1 as a ranger. And then I don't remember if he had gone, been 18 Delta and then got bumped to 18 Bravo. I think he actually did. So Rody, if you're watching this and I'm speaking out of turn, send me a nasty text. Um, so for all the listeners out there in the, in the, in the 18 series categories, special forces, military occupational skill, it's an MOS, right? So 18 Echo is a comms guy, 18 Delta is a medic, 18 Charlie is a engineer, 18 Bravo is a weapons guy, 18 Alpha is the team leader. So is the officer. And then you have, you know, 180s and some other things out there that we could go into and explain. But just for context, when we're throwing these things out, people, and 300 F1 is basically short course. Yeah. So it's, it's the, it's two thirds of the SF medic course. So it's because at the time they figured, okay, right, like trauma, and yeah, stuff like ranger that, medics right? and CLIDCs, yeah. they don't need the, the more advanced, they don't right. need to know how to spin down feces and look for parasites and all right. that shit. Which I would like to do now. Yeah. Like, if I, I, I had that lab here, that might be good. Yeah. yeah. You just want the ether. <laughs> 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 so you, you reclass as 18 Delta. Yeah. And, and went back to the same battalion, right. seventh group, and then continued to do counter narc stuff uh, for a few years. And and I had already figured out at that point, I'm like, ah, I just I dig this medicine thing. Right. So this is where my future lies. Like I don't right. want to be a warrant. I don't want to be a team sergeant. I want to go to PA school, and I wanted right. to go to PA school. And um, I knew I was going to have one shot to apply because they were changing the standards the very next year. Right. They were going to put a cap on time and service and a cap on age the next year. So right. I was going to have one shot to apply. And it was after I'd been back on a team for like two years. And this, this was, a, it was a weird time because the internet was new, right. but was there, right? So you could go to a website and see what the prereqs were but you also, the way you were supposed to do a PA packet back then is every hospital had a PA branch liaison and they would have an office and outside their office would be these thick packets. And you know, the thing you attach yeah, yeah. to the door, right? And you would grab one of these packets and you would fill it out with a Skillcraft pen right. and mail it in along with your transcripts and everything else, <laughs> Whoa. right? This is good. We were right on the cusp of right. everything kind of switching over to internet. And... I'm reading the packet and it says uh, you have to have um, two full semesters of, of anatomy and physiology. Well, I had one because I had one from the 18 Delta course. Right. So I didn't have two. So I called the branch and I said, hey, so the website, I don't even think I called it a website then. I said, so the, so the intranet, yeah. because that was like a new thing, right. says that I only need one. This says I need two which is right. And they said, the packet's right. And I was thinking, that doesn't make sense because the packet was printed two years ago and they just put their website up six months ago. So then I said, okay, but is that at the time I show up for the course or the time I apply? And they said, it's an app, if, you're, if you submit your application and you don't have both of them, your application will be returned. And you won't get in. And uh, which I found out later was not true because Larry Wyatt applied to PA school the same year, same condition that I was in, and he got in. 
I had just pissed off the person I was talking to on the phone. That makes sense. Because I was being a dick. Right. So I was being a cocky, cocky Sergeant First Class 18 Delta and speaking to a major who I thought was beneath me. And, and, uh, that was, that was the way she, okay, no, you're not getting in. Uh, so I ended up halving, my only choice was to apply to medical school. So, uh, I went to Campbell University to finish my undergrad and took my MCAT and did everything applications, sent all my applications and secondary applications and the interview process, I was in the process of the interview process when 9-11 happened. And uh, I was actually in La Rondia, Colombia when 9-11 happened. And two days before that, I'd been on a sat phone, like checking on my applications right. and everything else and um, got picked up, almost decided not to go, had a very wise Sergeant Major talk me into you know, don't going. Yeah, he said you right. need to go because we're seventh group and we're not going anywhere for a while. And you just <laughs> you're gonna end up regretting this. Right. You're gonna end up if you don't go, you're gonna end up regretting it. And he said, You're in the long run, you're gonna be of more use to the community if you come back as a physician who has a fucking clue what we do. Right. Right. Because that's that's our challenge is getting a physician who's not only qualified to do what he does, but knows what the fuck we do. Cause usually, right. you know, it's like anything, by the time the doc is trained up and gets it, it's time for him to leave. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so went to medical school at USIS and uh, did residency in San Antonio here yeah. in emergency medicine, which was a, uh, I get funny. I got at when I, when I ultimately, when I went to, when I went to the joint medical augmentation unit, I got asked on my interview what the worst unit I'd ever been in the military was. And I was in residency in AMED and I said, absolutely. It's the one I'm in right now. <laughs> Uh, so that was a, an interesting experience. It's like the the seamy underbelly of the military. Like you turn over a rock and all the creepy crawly fucking right. things that you just absolutely detest are there. That's what AMED, that was, that's my version of what AMED really? is like. Yeah, it's like all the fuckers have been hiding under a rock to get out of deployment and fucking- That's where they, yeah. Yeah, maximizing what they get out of the military as opposed to what right. they give back. So right. They're all hiding under that fucking rock. Same as like, we call it the bending beltway. Yeah. Where a guy will yeah. go from like, I work at the AT4 range for basic training. Now I'm a jump master instructor. Yeah. Now I work at Pathfinder. And then oh, I'm going to go, yeah, and then yeah. I'm going to go work at building yeah. two for a couple of years. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Mm-hmm. Same shit. Yeah. 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 So I, what year did you graduate from medical school then? Uh, 2006 medical school, oh, wow. residency 2009. And then I was back at Bragg, uh, working at Womack and assigned to the JMAO in 2009. And then did, uh, Three years there at Bragg, and then my last three years at Hood, um, stayed in the unit the whole time mm-hmm. and did five deployments with the unit. Holy shit. That's, that's wild. So that's how you ended up. I was, I was, that's how I was going to ask you. It's like, how did you end up in Austin? Yeah. Like so, the- yeah, it, it, it's, I, I knew I wanted to get back to Texas. My right. wife's from Texas. Right. My, my, my kids who primarily live with their birth mother are here in Texas. So I wanted to be close to them. And I knew that I, I right. had Texas residency and I wanted to settle in Texas. So right. I knew that, that that glide into into the landing pattern of retirement, I wanted to be in Texas. And where do you practice now? So I don't practice clinically. As, as of the last 12 months, I don't practice clinically at all. You don't? No. So I was practicing... Um, I got out. Initially, I got off active duty. I got a full-time EM job. Um, paid really well and I was really miserable uh, and then uh, moved to a different hospital system, was a little bit happier there. Um, but because of kind of the extracurricular stuff that I have going on, I was still doing some uh, some reality TV stuff, some docu-reality stuff. Right. 
I was still doing stuff. At the time, I was working for Sheepdog Response, so I was yeah, teaching yeah. courses for yeah, them. Yeah. Um, and I had other irons in the fire. Mm-hmm. And they're like, uh, well, if you're not going to be able to commit to like, just you're going to work when we schedule you, then we're going to have to make you part-time. And I was like, fine, I don't care. Right. Uh, so they made me part-time. And then right after making me part-time, they're like, ooh, we've overhired and we don't even have enough, we don't have enough shifts for the people that are full-time. Right. So bye. We'll keep your credentials, but bye. So I started doing what they call locums work, which mm-hmm. is you, you work with an agency and you submit your, all your credentialing stuff to them. And then they get you credentialed at hospitals, potentially all over the country or right. all over the state. So I was credentialed at three or four different of the Methodist hospitals here in San Antonio. And I was doing what they call locum shift. So, you know, I'd get an email like a month in advance. Hey, we've got two open shifts right, right. here. Do you want to come down and work? I'd come down, check into a hotel, work a couple, three days in a row, and then go back home. As in like an emergency room or? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It, and that's, that's easy to do in emergency medicine mm-hmm. yeah. because it's not, you don't have any continuity of practice, yeah, right. right? Unlike yeah, an, yeah. an FM or an IM or somebody. Right. Uh, EM physicians and surgeons can usually do locums pretty easy because, you know, they'll do just what they call trauma call. Surgeons right. will do what they call trauma call. So I did that for a while. And then uh, up to the first couple of months of COVID, I was still doing it. And then about month, Two month three of COVID, all ER censuses in the in the country dropped to about thirty percent of normal right. because only only the people who really should be going to emergency rooms now were going to emergency rooms. Right. Unlike all of the oh my shoulders hurt for three right. years, but I'm just tired of it. Those guys weren't <laughs> going to the emergency room anymore. Um, so they're like, okay, we don't have shifts, so we got to cut everybody. So obviously, locums guys were the first ones to get cut. Right. And then 12 months went by, and they, they notified me and said, uh, hey, you haven't worked a shift in 12 months, so you need, to, you need to voluntarily pull your credentials. And I've got other things going on, so I don't financially, I don't need it. Right. So, and, and honestly, I was kind of, there's a lot of burnout in EM, and I was kind of getting to that point anyway, that, yeah. that I was approaching burnout. And I have a little bit of ADHD. I mean, obviously, I've changed, I changed MOSs and vehicles and, and living locations so often. You know, I've got a little bit of ADHD, so I was ready for something else. Yeah, but you graduated from medical school. So ADHD, I don't know if... But maybe... <laughs> maybe you just did. But to this day, yeah. I, like, I, I think between med school and residency right. and, and boards and, and retaking boards, because you have to recertify mm-hmm. after 10 years... I have a hard time sitting down and reading anything now. Really? Yeah, yeah. Like I just don't, I start to come out of my skin. Uh, I don't, I don't even read fiction anymore. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, the last thing I read was, uh, was Hicks and Gracie's autobiography. Right. Um, I have a hard time reading anything now. It's just, it, it, it's, I think I have PTSD from all those years that I spend <laughs> right. books. Quite, like I'm pretty ignorant in, in terms of like the, the pipeline to become a doc, like a no shit provider. So when you go to medical school, Mm -hmm. at what point in that process do you say, I want to be, you know, a proctologist or Mm -hmm. I want to go into pediatrics or whatever. And does that affect what kind of a doc you can become in the army? Uh, Great question. So the way that it, um, I can only speak from the, the uses perspective, right? Although, I mean, it's, it's kind of blanket for everybody. So you go into medical school. USIS is? Uh, Uniform Services University of the Health Sciences. So that's the DOD right. medical school yep. that they used to try to shut down every mm-hmm. two years. <laughs> um, when, you, when I went to medical school, I knew that, you know, that emergency medicine was my number, 
was at the time, number one, that was about 60%. And then a family medicine, about 40%. And then the longer that I was in medical school, by the time, uh, by the time I was in fourth year and, and putting, actually applying to residencies, I was 90-10, right? Mm-hmm. Like I knew I wanted to do emergency medicine because I knew that's where I was going to be able to, to provide the most good for the community. Um, and it was just a better fit for me personality-wise, right? Again, a little bit because of the ADHD, you know? The idea of having the same patient come in every couple of months and still not listening to me when I'm telling them to lose weight, you know, it it was going to just drive me crazy. But in answer to your your question, so you, around third year is when you got to start thinking about it. Right. Fourth year is when you got to start putting applications for it. But even some people will do what they call transitional years, transitional intern years which is basically this vanilla generic intern year where they're not part of, it used to be way back in the day. So if we go back to like 50s, 60s, even 70s, you graduated medical school and then you went and did an intern year and all intern years were created equal. They were all the same, right? You were an intern and then while you were an intern year, you applied to a residency in whatever residency that you wanted to do because they expected that intern year was where you would actually figure that out, right? And it's not that way anymore. So now intern year is combined with residency and it's all one thing now, unless you do a transitional. In that process, is there a, is emergency medicine like, I want to fly F-15 version of the Air Force Academy where everybody wants it, but like, eh, you're probably not going to get that. Or is it? It's, the, it's, it's, it's continu- continuously EM is the most competitive in the military. Um, well, okay, I won't, I won't say the absolute, like uh, somebody graduates absolute top of their class. Um, uh, ophthalmology, believe it or not, is, is probably, in my opinion, one of the hardest specialties to get into. Really? Yeah. Why? So it's... Uh, Everything about being a surgeon, uh-huh. and I mean, just think of, think about how important the eye is and how right. intricate the eye is. Um, you got to be really on your game to get up, though. I mean, that's those are significant. They're they're always top ten percent of med school classes. You're, you're never going to see a bottom third person hmm. get up, though. It's just not going to happen. Right. Surgery is obviously really competitive. Uh, internal medicine and family medicine in the in military residencies. I don't think they've filled them up their slots in a while. So, I mean, they're, I hate to use the term non-competitive, but I mean, when you've got, you know, 30 slots mm-hmm. and 28 applicants, you know, or tw- should I say 28 qualified applicants maybe, but EM, we're always, we consistently turn away people that apply to EM that are number one picks for other residencies uh-huh. or that, you know, they, they won't get into us this year because it's like, God, everybody we had our choice of was top of their class and was just amazing. So you're just going to have to apply next year because you just barely missed it. So you're going to have to go do a transitional year and then hit us up next okay, year. So you can do that. You can do that. Yeah, yeah. Cool. and some people do. People, I, and it's when I was uh, chair of emergency medicine at Darnell, I had multiple applicants that had done a transitional year. <laughs> you like how I just threw that yeah. in there? And, uh, a little... It's not that big a deal. <laughs> it's not that big a deal. It wasn't because I was smart. It was it was because I was an asshole. Literally, that's why I got the job. Is because it basically the, all of my peers in the department said, we need an asshole to have this job right. because that needs to be the outward pr- projection. We need somebody that's going to fight other departments. Right. And nobody likes to fight like Mike likes to fight. So we know he will always, uh, he's right. they're like, Mike will fight when there's not, not even a fight. Right. And we want that. 
We, and we want every time he enters a room and he's talking to other departments, for everybody to be on the defensive, because right. then then that's what's going to protect our people. And that's mm-hmm. and that was my leadership philosophy when I had that job. Um, but we consistently would have applicants that had done uh, maybe a transitional year and then gone to do like a utilization tour. So they were working at some uh, you know tank unit, artillery unit on Fort Hood, uh, and they had been for a couple of years. Maybe had a deployment under their belt, and they, mm-hmm. then that, now they were applying to get into emergency medicine. Um, so it's always a really competitive specialty. Now that being said, I was middle third of my class. I wasn't. I, a lot of the reason that I was a competitive applicant was because of my 16 pieces of flair on right, my uniform. Yeah, right, right, right. It was, hey, this is a guy who wants to do operational medicine. Right. And he's got all these gizzies. And so uh, because of that, you know, yeah, he ain't, he's not the sharpest knife in the drawer and he didn't do some Wazoo research project right. during, uh, during medical school, but we're going to give him a, a few more points, mm-hmm. you know, because of, of what he's already given to the military. Because I had, I had 17 years enlisted when yeah. I went to med school. So <sighs> you weren't tired? Yeah, I'm always tired. <laughs> yeah. I'm always fucking if tired. Seven, if at my 17 year mark, they would have been like, hey, you have to go to like an eight day long course on counting, <laughs> on, on separating blue and red marbles. I'd have been like, ah. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> you know, but I think because it was different, right? It was right. like, this This is a new adventure. Like, uh, and it was, I got to, you know, I, I moved to Bethesda, Maryland, where I lived in Rockville, actually. But so new place to live. I'm away from Fort Bragg. I'm living right. in the nation's capital. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's yeah. before you figure out what a fucking cesspool it is. Right. Um, and I'm doing something different. You know, I'm, I'm going to school. I'm, I'm wearing, I'm, I'm every morning at 6 a.m. I'm on the train riding into Bethesda in class B uniform, right. you know, to go to, to go to class, you know? So it was, it was something that was interesting and, and different for me. So I think the change of scenery had a lot to do with kind of keeping me engaged and interested. Wait, so with Sheepdog, were you teaching their um, like medical portions, obviously? Yeah, we had, so uh, they didn't have any type of medical course uh, when I came on board. And I started at the time, uh, I called it, um, SOTEC, Spectrum of Tactical Emergency Care. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and that's the course that I taught, which is basically a, my version of TCCC. Right. I, I changed, instead of the, the March mnemonic, which there's absolutely nothing wrong with, I changed right. it to the, what I called the REACT 911 mnemonic, which was the one that I used because right. I thought it was a little bit more tailored to civilian use. Um, and I taught it a little bit more civilian-based. Uh, and it was, I taught it as a two-and-a-half-day course. Um, Ultimately, uh, I left to go do other things and left on great terms, you know, still loved him and, and yeah. loved Sheepdog and everything that they represent and what they do. And Matt Smith took over mm-hmm. and is teaching uh, what, what they call their uh, tactical trauma response course, I believe mm-hmm. is what they call it. Well, and here's a, not, it's a, it's a shift in topic, which is, you know, from your perspective, one of the things that we're, we constantly talk about are the, psychology, not only the mental health, but the physical health of, mm-hmm. of and we'll call it the, the, especially the GWAT guys, like as they start to age, we, we kind of have these, these uh, same, same kind of problems, right? Yeah. Which is like... Um, low T. Low T. Difficulty sleeping. Sleeping. Yeah. Like, I mean, Secondary TBICT effects. Yeah, yeah. 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 So when you're talking to guys out there in the community, do you find that these are they're, they're kind of standard problems that guys are facing as they get a little bit older. Yeah. And then what have you seen? What are those? Mm-hmm. And then tell us about 
you know, some of the, the things that guys can do in order to, to help with yeah. those things? So, uh, low T, so we have an epidemic of low T right. societally. Like, right. uh, what, and what do you think that's from? Because I like, I think diet drives a lot of diet. It. I think I think processed food, right. not getting enough healthy protein. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. Yeah, I'm not going to get into the whole argument about you know soy and what, sure. yeah, whatever. Yeah. It's uh, we're we're getting more and more and more into processed food. Right. Number one. Um, if you think about the amount, so I never sat down when I was growing up. I never sat down to a meal that there wasn't a cold glass of milk right there, right? right? So uh, other things, so another epidemic that we have, vitamin D deficiency, because right. people aren't drinking milk, right? Um, osteo, uh, osteopenia, osteoporosis. In, What's osteopenia? So it's the like the early stage of osteoporosis. Okay. So yeah. uh, basically your bones aren't calcified enough. Right. So we're seeing that, which predominantly was a, a disease that you thought of, of the 90-pound female smoker who didn't do a lot of axial loading so she wasn't remodeling her skeleton all the time, right? right? Um, Now it's a problem among men too. I mean, I've I've seen uh, a lot of fractures in younger people and you look at their x-rays and it's like their bones just don't even look as calcified as like mine or yours would next to it. Their bone density is not... Their bone density is not the same. And I think, you know, again, it's it's vitamin D deficiency. It's not getting the calcium in their diet. Um, and I don't, I don't think people are getting enough healthy protein. Right. Also, I think we're, we're doing a lot of things. So uh, 60% of adults are sleep deprived. Mm-hmm. That's a huge factor. That, right. that cannot be overstated in its impact on right. testosterone. So that undoubtedly, even in somebody who's eating a healthy diet, maybe working out, right. if they're not sleeping right, their cortisol is up, their testosterone is down. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it just, it is what it is. My life. Um, screen time. Yeah. I think we're going to find out over time that screen time plays a part in that just because, you know, everything that you're doing on that screen is the reason we're addicted to those screens is a lot of it has to do with dopamine hit, right? Yep. So I get a oh, I get a like. I get I get 500 likes on my post, that's a dopamine hit, right? right? So you're getting all these dopamine hits and everything else, but you're also because of the the light wavelength and everything else, you know, what are you doing to the neurohormonal access in your brain. So that's impacting it as well. So all, it's, it's multi, you know, I can't pin it down to one single thing. Right. So societally, we already have the problem. Right. Now you look at our population, you look at GWAT vets. Now we're going to compound that even more. We were all in a reverse cycle. Right. And we were deployed. Okay. That takes a huge toll on the hormonal access over time. Right. Uh, so that's going to fuck up your testosterone. Now, adds uh, TBI and CTE to that. Right. That's another big hit to your testosterone, okay? Now add to that that you were in a high testosterone job and did a lot of high testosterone stuff and you're a little bit more sensitive to even a minute decrease mm-hmm. in your testosterone right. because you're used to living at this level, right? Right. So maybe now you even just go to average level or average right. for your age that doesn't feel right, right? Right, Because you were living here. Yeah. Right? This is the level that you're living at. So this is a, somebody said that, you know, low T, um, low T was the, uh, the agent orange of our generation, mm-hmm. which I don't agree with. I think burn pits are the agent orange of our Same. generation, yep. right? Um, but low T is certainly, that's, that's the PTSD of our generation. Right. Because we've kind of removed the stigma 
from PTSD, yeah. right? Yeah. We're not going through what the Vietnam era guys had to go through, thank right. God. Um, but the low T thing is, there is some stigma attached to that. Oh, you just want to get jacked. Right. Yeah. 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 Oh, you just, you just, just fucking accept that you're old, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Just, yeah. You just, you just want to be jacked and fucking, uh, you know, that, that's all you want. Right. right. And it's like, no, I want to have good quality of life. Right. So, uh, there is a, there's an online resource that everybody can check out. It's called an Adams score. Right. So Adam, just like Adam and Eve, right? Yeah. So if you Google Adam's score, right, and it'll give you some questions. You answer those questions, it's going to give you a score. That's going to tell you clinically if you, doesn't tell you necessarily where your T is, right. but it'll tell you clinically if you're symptomatic. Mm. Okay. So that's important. And it's, it's about libido, sleep, energy levels, appetite, uh, exercise tolerance, all that. Um, in 2012 is when I first identified that I was having issues. And, it, and the first two things that I noticed were libido and exercise tolerance. Because mm-hmm. I always had issues with sleep. So that was right. nothing fucking new. Um, and I reached out to some, some people that I knew that had trained in hormone replacement. And they said, go to this website, check your Adam score. Let me know what you get. Send it back. All right, clinically, you look like it. Let's get your levels checked. Got my levels checked. I still wanted to do it through the army because I didn't want that feeling like I was doing something behind sure. the army's back yeah. and I was going to get in trouble. So I made an appointment. My, my, uh, my physician at the time was a family medicine second year resident who, God bless him, this, was, this is far and beyond his scope of practice. Right. And he said that, this is far and beyond my scope of practice. I'm going to bring in a urologist and ask him what he thinks. The urologist was, he was a urologist concentrate on the surgical aspect of urology. Mm-hmm. He's like, this isn't really my thing either. I don't know. Um, and they only wanted to look at my, the two mistakes that they were making is they were only looking at my total testosterone, right. number one. And number two, they were looking at age adjusted. Right. Mm-hmm. Age adjusted is, is just throw that shit out the fucking window. Really? Okay. Because age adjusted doesn't tell you what's normal. It tells you what's average. Of course it's average because everybody's testosterone goes down as they get older, right? And it's a range too. It's a huge range. So pinning your hat on age adjusted, you're doing the patient a disservice because I don't want to feel like an average 55-year-old. I want to feel, I know I'm never going to feel as good as I did at 25 or 35, but I I still want to kick ass and I still want to do strength and conditioning four to five times a week. And I still want to go to jujitsu two to three times a week. Right. And then I still want to have enough energy on my day off to go on a 10 mile mountain bike ride. Right. And I don't want shit to interfere with that. Yeah. Right. Um, and there's a lot of risk benefit. What I, and what I encourage everybody to do, if you think you're in this category, first, go take the Adam score. Right. Second, only go to a physician who's been trained in hormone replacement. Mm. So there's a lot of fly-by-night fuckers out there. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's, yeah. that's a good question because how do you actually differentiate between a, a good physician yeah. or a bad physician yeah. or somebody that's qualified in hormone replacement? Like, so you ask, right? and the length of their answer uh-huh. is inversely proportionate to the validity of their answer. Got it. So if I ask you, what's your training in hormone replacement? Right. And you talk for three minutes, you probably didn't say anything worthwhile. If I ask you and you say, I attended X course and I took, I took the X board exam. Right. Which took you like 15 seconds to say. Yeah. You're, you're, you're my guy. guy. Got it. Okay. Guys that, oh, blah, 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 blah. And I read this and blah, 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 blah. Okay. I don't, you know, it's like uh, that scene in, um, what's the DiCaprio movie where he's, uh, uh, where he's a spy. And he's working. 
he's working with that one Middle Eastern uh, intelligence agency. Mm. And he goes, do you know oh, this? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I he goes, no. And he goes, if your answer had been any longer than one word, it would have been suspect. <laughs> right. <laughs> right? Right. I would have known that you were just making shit up. Yeah. So, and that's how I feel about a lot of the people that are doing this. And they're not, they're not doing the tests that you should do. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of things you have to test. You know, if, if you came to me and I'm not, I know more than most physicians about hormone replacement, right. but I won't do it yeah. because I haven't attended a formal training block. Right. And I haven't taken a, the, a board exam on it. I was going to do that two years ago and COVID torpedoed it. So right. I still plan on doing that at some point because it's a practice that I want to do because I think it's important. But if you came to me um, and I was like, your, your last hope, like you, you got to help, you got to help at least get me started on this. I would run a battery of tests. I would check your thyroid. I would check your cortisol levels. I would check your standard blood work, right. check your electrolytes because there might be something else there. And people have been misdiagnosed and unscrupulous physicians. So we were talking about the, the online forum with a yeah. bunch of SF guys, right? I've had guys in there say that, oh yeah, I went to my doctor, I asked him to run the test and he said, ah, screw it. If you just want to get jacked, I'll write you for it right now. Right. And I said, that's literally the worst physician practicing. Yeah. You need to get as far the fuck away from him as you can. Right. I'm like, because who knows what you have? There was a, one case where a guy had, he had exercise intolerance. Um, he felt like he was winded all the time. He felt tired all the time. Some doctor put him on test, ah, put you on testosterone. He's like, ah, I feel a little bit better, but not a lot better. This went on for a while. Come to find out he had a tumor in his fucking chest. Oh, right. That was his issue. Yeah. Right. You know, these are things that could have been figured out. Right. right? He might not have identified that, that there was a tumor, but he would have identified, well, it's not your testosterone. We need to keep looking. Yeah, yeah. Right? So yeah. maybe you do need a PET scan or something like that, you know? Well, and I've heard so many different things because... It, you know, this, this obviously is, is, is a conversation that happens all the time. I mean, I think, I mean, we hit on it all the time, you know, in groups of circumstances, whether it's like at the dinner table or, you know, sitting at a bar or whatever it might be. And I hear this a lot and I don't actually know what it means. Mm-hmm. Adrenal fatigue. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that is. It's, it's I, a myth. I no fucking, okay. <laughs> so, I, the short answer is it's a myth. Got it. Okay. So uh, adrenal fatigue is a, there's a, there's a lot of kind of, there's a lot of bogus diagnoses that get thrown out there. Wait, what does it mean? So <sighs> adrenal fatigue just means you're tired. Now, okay. have you heard this? Am I the only I, crazy I fucker? No, that, yeah. Like, basically yeah. that it means what I understood from my like shithouse doctor perspective was Adrenal fatigue was like, you have so many hits of adrenaline throughout your career mm-hmm, right. that your body just doesn't do it anymore. Yeah. Right. But, the, but it's not really, because typically, on a typical day for me, yeah. even going to the gym and doing a hard workout, I won't get an adrenaline spike. Right. Right. Because what, exertion isn't what kicks off your adrenaline. Right. Right. It's fight or flight is what yeah. kicks off adrenaline. So the only true way to know if you have adrenal fatigue is if I put a gun in your face and your mouth doesn't get dry and your pupils don't dilate, not, oh, oh, you've got right, adrenal right, fatigue, right. Okay. right? Yeah. But what people call adrenal, people overestimate how much they're using adrenaline. You're using mm. adrenaline a lot less than you think. Mm. You know, when you're towing the ramp at 16 grand, you're, there's adrenaline involved, right? right? When uh, you're about to go down the rope onto the X, there's adrenaline involved, right? right? Uh, tire flipping, no adrenaline, right? Right. Typically, even when I'm rolling in jujitsu, uh, there might be small adrenaline spikes, you know, when I'm evading uh, 
a submission or I, th- I think I'm about to get a submission, but it's not what people think it is. So there's a few kind of what I call, I, I won't say ad- adrenal fatigue is a complete bullshit diagnosis. Right. I'll say it's a trash can diagnosis. It doesn't uh, really mean anything. Okay. Right. It, it, it doesn't mean anything. And there's really, how are you going to prove it? So this is why I don't understand. Yeah. Because I, 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 pressed on this where I'm like, I just don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Yeah. Like, what does this mean? And then who is telling you? you know? So uh, adrenal fatigue is one. Leaky gut is another. Oh man, I hear that one all the time too. Leaky yeah. gut's non-existent. So yeah. Yeah. What, what does that mean? It means nothing. It's, okay. it's complete bullshit. So uh, don't even, you don't even want to get me started on chronic Lyme. Right. So I've had Lyme. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. So people get, people get Lyme disease and I'll, I'll, I'll get hate sure. mail for this. So people get Lyme disease. Yep. Some people have permanent damage from it, right? Right, And you get what's called sequelae of Lyme, mm-hmm. right? So you might continue to have some numbness in your fingertips right. or, you know, some weird thing. Yeah. What is not real is, is chronic infection mm. that, oh, the infection persists for years. So you have to get, continue to get antibiotic treatments and vitamin infusions and all that stuff. That's, that's not a thing. Mm. You have sequelae of Lyme that occasionally flares up and it's secondary to your own immune system. It's not secondary mm. to a continued infection which is the myth that, that keeps getting perpetuated. And there's a physician by the name of Horowitz who's made a lot of money, like millions of dollars. Oh, yeah. I've writing books yeah. and, and no, no, everything no, else about, yeah. about chronic Lyme. Yeah, I know so exactly who you're talking about. People fly, and it, yeah. it's... Because it's, 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 when I had Lyme, I got it in the spring. Mm-hmm. Not to cut you off, but I got it in the spring. So I had to go down the rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. Well, first, my, I had to request the test. I was like, well, I have this, you know, bullseye rash. Yeah, the bullseye rash. My, yeah. You know, in the middle of my stomach. And then I got a bunch of blood blood work done. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they're like, well, you're you're very allergic to red meat. So I got the Lone Star Tick that uh, it's just alpha gal, which is the the variant that actually gives you uh, allergic reaction to, to mm-hmm. you know uh, red meat or mm-hmm. meat. Uh, so I was off red meat for eight months, and then I took Good a round of antibiotics, mm-hmm. but I was still allergic. So I'd go back and get another. So I just cleared it last month. Yeah. So, so a lot of times what happens when you, when you get those multiple rounds of antibiotics is it's not that you're getting the antibiotic and it's killing organisms. Mm. Almost all antibiotics have a secondary anti-inflammatory effect. Mm. So what you're really getting the benefit of is the anti-inflammatory effect. Interesting. Yeah. In most cases. Right. In most cases. Right. Now, am I going to say that like everybody completely eradicates the infection with one run of antibiotics and they might not need another one and it might not be a prolonged course sure. like yours was. No, I'm absolutely not saying that. And I know people, I know, I know a couple of, I know a professional fighter in the UFC who has chronic sequelae of Lyme. I won't mm-hmm. say he has chronic Lyme uh, because I know that he still has, you know, instances where when his body gets susceptible, um, he'll have flares. Right. Um, but it's, yeah, a lot of... It's it's funny because there's a whole rabbit hole on chronic Lyme you can get into. Oh my gosh! And uh, what's what's really funny is they say, well, the medical establishment is hiding this, and it's like, why would if you look at how much the doctors who are saying it's real are making, right? Why would we hide it? Right. That's a fucking cash cow. Yeah. Horowitz built his beach house on that shit. Right. <laughs> right. We can make a lot right. of money from that. So why would if if by all means, if we were who you think we are, we would be saying everybody's got it. And right. the, the part of the problem is too is is the uh, the tests that they give have an overwhelming number of false positives. 
Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. So you can give the you can give the Lyme test to right. somebody who's never even been in a tick endemic region. Right. And they might show up positive on the test. I've heard that. Yeah. I've heard I've heard that from a number of people going, you know, yeah. because and these, I've been dealing with this for these a guys year. who call themselves Lyme literate physicians. Right. They'll this is what they'll tell you. Okay. So if clinically it looks like you have it, so same as the Adam score, they'll go. If clinically it looks like you have it, you have it. Or if the test is positive, you have it. Mm-hmm. We don't need both of those things. In fact, we really don't need either of those things. Just if I say you have it, you basically have it. Right. Yeah. So, and they, they'll say, they'll say oh, you know, clinically is much more important. And again, much like testosterone, there was a, a woman who died who had multiple sclerosis. It was diagnosed as chronic Lyme. It was treated with multiple Lyme. rounds of antibiotics right. over about a three-year period and ultimately died of complications from her MS. Right. They've missed MS, cancers, right. uh, a lot of things because they've been treated. Oh, you have chronic Lyme, chronic Lyme, chronic Lyme. Right. And it became this, uh, a couple of celebrities got it, so it became a little bit of a fad disease. Lyme. Yeah. yeah. Chronic <laughs> Lyme especially, yeah. right? Oh, man. Brad Pitt got I want that. <laughs> I want that. Well, it's all yeah. it takes. I've noticed that all it takes is somebody going on The View and saying something. Right. And it will sway public opinion medically. I literally had a trauma patient come in one time and I was sending him to the CAT scanner. And for acute trauma, CAT scan is the gold standard, right? For, for stroke and for you know, a lot of other soft tissue and chronic stuff, MRI is the gold standard. Mm-hmm. So we're doing what we always do, you know, CT head to toe, you know, with, with PO and IV contrast, boom. Uh, and I don't know, I think we'd stop doing PO, uh, oral contrast at that point. But uh, patient's daughter arrives and says, well, I want an MRI. And I said, well, there's MRI machines not even being manned this time of night. Right. Like, there's no indication for an MRI. Well, an MRI is better than a CT. Looks me in the eye and says, an MRI is better than a CT. And I said, what, what do you mean? You know, that's like saying a pizza is better than a steak. Right. You know, or, or that's like saying cheesecake is better than a, a, a ripe tomato. You know, I, I, don't know, I don't know what that means. Like, you, you know, they're kind of in the same ballpark, but they don't really do the same thing. And, right. And finally, after this back and forth, I'm like, why are you so convinced that the MRI is better? And she said, well, I saw it on The View. Yeah. And I said, well, what was the context? She said, I don't remember. And I go, okay, I'll tell you what. You know, why don't, why don't, you, why don't you let me do medicine <laughs> and let the Karens be Karen shit, <laughs> right? That's, this right. Is, yeah. This Let's, is, we're getting the CT. <laughs> yeah. So there's, you know, the, uh, the adrenal fatigue, I've heard that one a lot. Yeah. Leaky gut, I've heard that one a lot. Yeah. My big thing that is is uniform across the board, and, and we we were having this debate the other night, which was sleep. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of my buddies who's never in the military, he was at the dinner table with us, and we were talking about sleep. And all of us are like, we all have very similar backgrounds. We're all about the same age. Then he was the same age. He's like, guys, I don't think this is like an actual military thing. I think it's an age and male thing because he's mm-hmm. like, I can't fucking sleep either. Mm-hmm. We're all the same age. And he's like, I don't think it's a military thing. I think yeah. it's like, I can't sleep either. I'm like up in six hours, mm-hmm. ready to go. He's like, I think it's just like the stress of male life in America. Like when you have a family, it depends on you. You're paying mortgages. Yeah. You're going to work every day. You're, you're, you know, you're in the cycle of life. Yeah. So that's my, more of my question is, do you think that it's more acute in our community or do you think it's also just compounded by, um, you know, the external variables of our history or do you think mm-hmm. it's just male aging? 
Yeah, I think it's I think it's all the above. All the above. Yeah, it's it's yeah. all compounded on it. And you you mentioned sleep. There's a whole chapter in my book on sleep mm-hmm. because of how important. Oh, that's right. Your book, which I think is important for us to talk about, which is what's the name of your book? And Honed. Buy it. Yeah, the, the name of the book is Honed: Finding yep. Your Edge as a Man Over Forty. Yep. Um, did you read it? Okay. But you sent it to me. <laughs> I sent it to you. It's, it's on my desk, uh, much like uh, the 12 other books that are on That's my okay, desk. That's okay, man. Yeah. I, I know you get a lot of them, so I'm, I'm not... <laughs> no, no. Yeah. I, there's, there's, there's like yeah. three books that are sitting on my desk that I have to read. They're all from SF yeah. guys. Yeah. Like, it's no offense to the other guys that send me books, but yeah. like I, I front load the SF guys uh, as far as their books. But just like you, to be completely transparent, my life of reading is basically... It, it it doesn't exist. If it's not on Audible, it doesn't get it doesn't get done. Because, yeah, and my book won't be on Audible for probably another six to eight months. Well, good. Yeah, when it comes so. out, then I'll, I'll be sure to I'm do gonna, it. I'm gonna yeah. crush it when. Yeah, when I gotta I gotta get the. The thing is, it's gonna cost me. I, I have to pay enough front free to do it, and then I gotta go out to a sound a studio in, in California to do the read. And so, really, why yeah. do you have to go to a sound studio in California? Because uh, so Scribe Media, who's yeah. what I used mm-hmm. to publish, so plug plug for Scribe Media, fucking amazing organization. Right. Um, that's they have a contract with us very specific. It. They yeah. said you can if you want to find a local person and do it, that's fine. Right. But if I do it there, the editor's in the same room with me. Yeah, so they yeah, they, they already it. know it's yeah. gonna be a lot easier right. that way. Um so I just I want to do it that way and yeah. get it done. But I'm I need a little bit of this and I need some little bit of this right. to go do it. But are you doing it? Are you gonna I'm gonna read it? it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and read it. Um yeah, you have a good voice for that. That's yeah, what I was gonna say. Like, I mean I you have a good voice. I, I podcast and people yeah. listen to my podcast. Right. So uh so I'm kinda used to talking into a microphone anyway. And I think right. people are listening to you you're used to listening to me on their drive. So I think uh Yeah. And, I, well, and plus I have a lot of first person stories in there that it wouldn't make sense if somebody else was reading them. So. Yeah. Yeah. So the entire chapter that you go into sleep, which yeah. is like that's, I know what I use. I know what works for me. Like, I don't do everything that I tell people to do all the time because that's, you know, it's do what I say, not what I do. Uh, but I know the biggest thing that's helped me, truly helped me is one, I had to figure out the bed. Mm-hmm. Like, I had to figure out like, is this, is, am I comfortable sleeping? Because the other thing that I, I realized is like injuries, mm-hmm. you know, like that's the, 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 the cycle of life here. It's like my shoulders are a little bit fucked up. Mm-hmm. You know, like my back's a little bit fucked up. Like everything's a little bit fucked up. So one of the reasons why I don't sleep as well as I used to is because I have more injuries. And mm-hmm. over the course of your life, if you've used your body, and especially if you've been carrying weight around your shoulders for the good portion of your adult life, your back doesn't sleep like it used to sleep. Mm-hmm. And so I had to figure out the right bed to, to sleep in. The other thing is I get hot as Fuck. Yeah, not like sweating, but I can't use one of those memory foam beds mm-hmm. because that thing, like, and everybody, I don't think this is just like a hormone issue. I think it's just like, man, if you sleep hot, which I always have, I mean, I think you guys probably remember if you're in a shipping container overseas, like, dude, I'd put that fucking AC unit on, like, if there was like a subarctic level, it was like, mm-hmm. put that thing on subarctic, get it as cold as I could get it in there. And it's like blackout dark, and you'd sleep like the fucking dead like yeah. like the dead so now i'm like well now i just have to replicate that environment at home so blackout curtains mm-hmm. you know as cold as i can make it without like freezing my wife out because then she'll it looks like she's going into the arctic to go yeah. into a sleep uh black we have blackout curtains in my house we have yeah. so we have we have dual we have shades and yep. then curtains right so you know dual 
Um, and that's something that I started doing actually when, uh, when I went back to Bragg and I was working in residency, it wasn't an issue. Cause I, I, the, the, my room in residency, I, I rented a room from a buddy of mine and it just had one little tiny, I was the room over the garage. So I just had one little tiny window. Right. I just put tinfoil on it and yeah. it wasn't an issue. Uh, when I got back to Bragg, uh, I was living in an apartment right under a, a street lamp. And it had the regular, you know, Venetian blind right. type things. So I got blackout. I got the, I got the, uh, the ones, the self adhesive blackout. Oh yeah, and yeah. Put them over, and then put curtains on top of right. that. So you know, dual blackouts has been a thing for me for a while. And we put them in our bedroom here. Um, also have a white noise machine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I talk about this in the chapter that sixty five degrees is really kind of an ideal sleep temperature right. during snowpocalypse. Uh, our power was out for a day and a half and our bedroom temperature actually went down to 65 and I got some of the best sleep ever. My wife thought we were going to freeze to death and I'm like, it's 65. This is 65. ideal sleep temperature. This is perfect. Yeah. Uh, same thing with the mattress. So we have a sleep number bed. We got the yeah. highest end. Same. You know, here's the, here's, <laughs> the, here's the thing. Yeah. Guys will put all this money into their guns, into their car and it's all this other bullshit. Okay. You spend a third of your life in that fucking bed. Same. And yeah. it dictates the whole rest of your yeah. goddamn day, you do not need to be trying to save money on low kit, thread count sheets and yeah, your yeah. shitty mattress and all that other stuff. Yeah. And you need to be changed every five to 10 years. Realistically, yeah. you need to be changing that mattress. So uh, a good mattress, good sleep. And that's the biggest thing, you know, to these guys that are having all the symptoms that I described in low T, start with your sleep, right? If you start with your sleep, it could correct itself, right? Because it, here's the deal is when you're not sleeping, you're not sleeping. So your body says, hmm, we're not sleeping. Are we in some kind of weird pre-extinction migration? Is that right. why we're not sleeping? I don't know. Right. But hey, maybe maybe it's not a good time to procreate. Right. So cortisol is going to go up because I need it to stay awake because I'm not sleeping enough. Yep. Testosterone is going to go down. Libido is going to go down because we don't need... T- testosterone is an anabolic hormone, right? Well, we're in survival mode. So... I'm not going to be building muscle during this time. Right. I don't need a high libido because we don't want to procreate because right. we're. it feels like we're in some kind of weird extinction event. Right. That's the only way that your body can determine that. Yeah. Is, or or uh, uh, not determine, but uh, interpret that data. Right. Is like something, something weird's going on. Yeah. It's not a good time for us right, right now in our life. Um, so if you tell your body it is a good time for us and I'm going to show you because I'm going to get enough sleep and I'm going to clean up my diet and do all right. this other stuff. But sleep to me, and that's why I put that chapter very, very early in the book, because I knew if I put it at the end of the book, people would read, okay, I need to eat so much protein. I need to do this many deadlifts. I need to go to jujitsu. All right, yeah, fuck sleep chapter. I'm moving right. on, right? Because mm-hmm. everybody's too impatient to read the sleep chapter. And, and like getting good sleep is not sexy. You can't, you can't, not sexy. You can't post about well, what a the rad biggest, night's sleep you have. I want to every time I get a good night's sleep yeah. where I'm like, dude, that's seven and a half hours. Like, yeah. I want to post out like my, my, like my PR. Yeah. Like, I want to post out like my dead so PR. Yeah. With a sleep, yeah. no, with hours, a sleep number, you can. You know, so it gives you yeah, sleep IQ every morning. Hey, look what I did, you know. I know. Posted my MyZone workout from yesterday. Here's my sleep number from right. last night. My sleep IQ. The, and the thing is, is, you know, people need to turn off devices. Mm. It, it, it's, there's so much about sleep hygiene is go to bed earlier. Turn off your devices. Turn to our. Don't eat late. Don't drink a lot late. Um, your bed. Your bed is for two things: sexual intercourse and sleep. Right. Okay. It's not for playing fucking Scrabble. 
It's not for doing a crossword puzzle. It's not for balancing your fucking checkbook. Yeah. It's not for, you know, binging the fucking uh, Lost in Space marathon on oh, Netflix. It's really good, though. Which is out. It, I can't wait to yeah. see the new season. The Expanse, too, yeah. if you're into sci-fi. I haven't That's seen The Expanse. It's really so. good. It's really uh, good. Uh, a question about Go ahead. a sleep thing that I've recently done. I don't know if it's a placebo mm-hmm. or if weighted blankets. Masturbate. No. Yeah, uh, weighted, I weighted, guess. It didn't people know. like weighted blankets. I, I feel a little bit suffocated by them, but uh, a lot of people really like them. Game yeah. changer for me. Yeah. Really? Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, my wife likes that. And I tried it. And I was like, I'm the same way. I'm like, man, I, if, like, if I just had my whoopee, just the, the, just the poncho liner, you know how light that thing is? I'm like, I'm, yeah. I sleep like fucking oh, yeah, I don't like that. dead. Yeah. And also, if I could sleep in a straight jacket, I would love it. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So I have to, I have a, huh. I have a pillow that I hug into my chest because otherwise I will fold my arms up uh-huh. and my hands go to sleep. And I've got, I've got nerve damage uh, in both of my arms that it, that's exacerbated if I do that. So. Yeah, I do the same thing. Yeah. I've never heard that from anybody else. Yeah, I'll take a pillow and put it on my stomach and yeah. just do this because it's a, it's the, my hands will go to sleep depending yeah. on where they are. So I'll just... Like, yeah, and I've, I've had the EMG test done and I've got legit... Right. Fucking nerve damage. From what? Uh, so yeah, so everybody knows about your carpal tunnels. They're yeah, here, yeah. right? You also have what's called the cubital tunnels, which are yeah. here, right? Right. So I've got cubital tunnel impingement, and it's a combination of years of sleeping like that, right? And doing things like firing in the prone, right? Continued vibrations. So my cubital tunnels are narrowed, hmm. so it impinges on the nerve. So it doesn't take a lot of stretch or pressure to just impinge that completely. And right. then these fingers will go numb. I'll wake up in the yeah. night and these fingers are numb. Mm. So I, that's why I put the pillow on my chest so I can't do that. Right. So I can't uh, get my arms all the way up under me. It's, so, it, yeah. That's just a, the, a modification that I have to make. Some of the best sleep I get is flying on... Pl- I love to tuck my arms into the seatbelt. <laughs> yeah. And then put it between my legs. <laughs> that's the best. That's why I'm like, I wish do you I had could a, do you have a burlap that. sack over your head for <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I was in the box here, I got great rack. Oh, so did I. When I you like, when well, everybody's like they're, they're checking for claustrophobia when they yeah. put you in the little tiny boxes at Sear. And I'm small enough where you just like wedge your yeah. I, I remember this so well because I was like wedging my my knees in there and then like resting my back. And then I fucking slept yeah. so well. And then one of my buddies was in the box, like right next to me, and he woke me up because he was like, "I gotta get the fuck out of here!" And, <laughs> and he's like, "Boom, boom, boom!" And then the box opens up, and I was like, "Man, it sucks to be that guy." I, yeah. I remember feeling guilty because, like, same. I don't know who was next to me, but I heard he was not having a good time. Yeah, he was Where like, is, <laughs> "Me, I was, I was like, <laughs> weird, sleepy." Yeah. I was like, "This is great." I, I sat cross right as I sat cross legged, and of course, and your hands are flex cuffed. So what I figured out was, is I would put my elbows into my knees and my forehead on my hands like this. Oh, And I could yeah. sleep. Yeah, and it was really comfortable. And I would sleep. I was at, at the perfect depth of sleep that when I could hear them, you know, they come around and do their checks. Yeah, yeah. And when I could hear the other doors, slots opening, I would sit up. Sit mm-hmm. all the way up straight so that, I, so that I wasn't sleeping, you know, when they, when they came around to check on me. Not sleeping. Yeah. yeah. Now I, I think... Mainly what I, what I try to do is like the things and, and I'm sure there's a lot of data behind this, but it's like, if I get seven and a half hours of sleep, mm-hmm. I'm, I feel like I might, might as well have it three cups of coffee. Like I feel like so refreshed and available to like work and process information. And I'm, my, my brain is way more organized. If I'm below seven hours, there's a huge distinct difference in performance. Mm-hmm. And I notice it right away because I like to work early in the morning. I like to 
knock out basically a, a, a huge amount of my organizational thought, like right away in the morning. Mm-hmm. Have a first cup of coffee and then do it. But the other thing I've noticed is squats. Like if I if I do weighted, any anything weighted, it doesn't have to be a lot. It could mm-hmm. be like 135 pounds and just do like, you know, five sets of 10. Just mm-hmm. good form-based squats with weight. It's a life changer for me. If I do that a couple days a week, I feel like I, I can sleep better. I feel like I'm, I'm more intellectually, uh, you know, available to, to conquer different things. And, and it's interesting because I went, I had like some, some like IT band thing going on for like two weeks or whatever before it went back down and I was back to doing squats. Mm-hmm. And I, I felt kind of dirty and like, it's kind of trashed, like, eh, and I don't feel that good. Like I'll go for a run and I like to get, you know, sunlight, you know, do a half hour, 45 minutes or whatever. But nothing makes me feel like just doing squats three days a week, two to three days a week. I don't know what it is, but it, I, that's, why I'm, that's why I'm asking you. Squats, is, is, a gr- squats is a great exercise. Squats is, is one of the best exercises you can do. Um, it's, it really, it's a whole, we think of it as a leg exercise and it's not, it's a whole body, body exercise. Right. So it's working your entire chain. It's working your core. Mm-hmm. All right. It's working all your, it's working stabilization muscles, not just, it's a strength exercise. It's also a power exercise. Right. It ends up being a muscular endurance exercise right. as well. Right. Because if you look at your heart rate tracing when you're doing squats, it's getting up there. Yeah, it is. Right. Um, because there's a huge oxygen demand that has mm-hmm. to be met. So your body is having to compensate for that as well. It's, uh, Skeletally, it's a great exercise because it's axial loading. So you have what's called Wolf's Law, which is as you break down bone through uh, muscular movement and axial loading, you'll have microfractures in bone, which repair themselves, that then your, mm. your bones then get stronger. We can so do that's a, what that is. Yeah, so we could do a whole conversation around Wolf's Law because Wolf's Law, Wolf's Law m- much like you know earlier we were talking is about— Is this like a doctor or are you talking about the actual animal? Uh, the doctor, it's it. two Fs, Wolf, two, two Fs. I think he was, I don't know if he was a physician or a PhD. You were, you were going to ask that question. Yeah. Was, yeah. Right. It would be, be a lot cooler if it was Wolf's Law. Right? <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm like, this is Wolf's you know, Law. You know, yeah. hence the phrase, you know, the legs feed the wolf, right? <laughs> so it's Wolf's Law. <laughs> right. The law of the wolf. <laughs> the law of the pack. The, the law of the uh, wolf. Wolf's Law has to, and Wolf's Law is get, I, I won't get it, this is a whole rabbit hole we get into, but a lot of, uh, a lot of pseudoscience martial arts practitioners mm-hmm. have, have tried to twist Wolf's Law into this, oh, I need to be continually breaking my knuckles to yeah, get yeah, them to yeah. remodel. Right. That's not how Wolf's Law works. Right. Yeah, so Wolf's, Wolf's Law, there's never been any evidence that uh, that's flawed for a number of reasons, not the least of which is, you know, you see these guys with, they have all these big calluses mm-hmm. and bony deposits on their knuckles. Right. So all that is is arthritis. Right. Because, right? The, the knuckles are for punching when they're like this, but they're for doing stuff when they're like this. Right. So that deposit is going to get in the way. Yeah. That's going to be an issue. The, re- the other reason that uh, it's bullshit and it doesn't do anything as far as protecting your hands for punching is that's not where the fractures occur. The fractures occur here. Mm. Okay. They, right. they occur in the long bones of your hand. Right. Right. So this is the equivalent of if I take a plastic drinking straw and then I dip the end in cement. And so the end is really nice and hard, but then I hit something really hard with that drinking straw, the drinking straw is still going to collapse. Right. Because I haven't done anything to, to yeah. make the tensile strength of the shaft any stronger. Right. Um, 
anyway, so that's a, a segue about Wolf's Law. But getting back to squats, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it, squats are a great exercise. And I hate it when, uh, so I hate leg presses. I hate it when I see people doing leg presses. I, I always say, I you mean like the, the, uh, the slide? The, yeah, they're yeah, sort of sitting yeah, yeah, in the yeah, thing. Sitting in the chair. Yeah, I don't So I don't more that. bad things happen when people do right. leg presses because you end up lifting way more, loading yourself way more than you should. Right. Right. Because I, I can, uh, I think I can only squat. 275, 285 maybe. Right. I could probably leg press. I can deadlift 305, so I could probably leg press for something. Yeah. Right? But that's not a good idea. I shouldn't be loading my knees with that oh, that right. much, right? Yeah, so yeah. you see these guys, that they're in the middle of a leg press and their knees just, you know, yeah. go the, bend the wrong way and all this other shit. Um, you know, Wolf's it, Law, that's that's what I tell people. You yeah. got to break those knees down. Wolf's Law. You got to break that knee yeah. at least you know, once. At least once. Tanya Harding, that's <laughs> Wolf's Law. You know, we're going to we're gonna break that shit. Yeah, and, she's, you know, she's doing her favor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm I just like trying that. to help you out. Yeah. I'm trying to increase your bone density. Wolf's that's law. all I'm doing here, yeah. right? Um, and that's another way that martial artists kind of misinterpret Wolf's Law is the, well, the Muay Thai guys who kick banana trees, mm. right? Banana tree, they kicked banana trees before we had heavy bags. Right. Mm-hmm. The banana tree is not like kicking a maple tree or an oak tree. It feels like a heavy bag. It's very squishy, mm-hmm. right? So the, the whole purpose of it wasn't to remodel that bone. It was actually to desensitize nerves, the right? nerves yeah. mm-hmm. so that you could tolerate that. More, right. right? Mm-hmm. And even then you had to temper that. Like you don't want to do that every single day because then, right. you know, that's and like, you know, McGregor said that he thought he had actually had the fracture during camp from stuff like that. That's yeah. exactly what'll happen is, you know, the microfractures take a, a while to heal. So, and, and again, Wolf's Law doesn't apply to breaking the bone from the side. It applies to axial loading because that's how osteoblasts, which are the, the cells that, that build bone, they line up in a very specific fashion to remodel that bone. Right. Right. Because, you know, millions of years of evolution say, this is the, you know, we're going to support 250 pounds like this, right? Not like this. Yeah. So you can't change the matrix of bone mm. to all of a sudden be stronger and all the. I mean, to an extent, can you? Yes, but not to the extent that a lot of people have been led to believe. So, so what is this? Well, I, and I know it's probably not fiction, right? But and I've heard this from so many different people. Uh, I've never had them. So, like, I. Can you remember this from like basic training and you know the yeah. Guys that would get hairline fractures or whatever mm-hmm. in their feet, mm-hmm. like so. Is a hairline fracture is that real? Yeah. And mm-hmm. do people get them from running? Yes. Or is it just because they haven't run before and their bones haven't had the the time to you know develop the type of density they need to to? Typically, it's from repeated micro trauma. So, so it happens again and again and again and again and again, and you know, and you just keep doing it, keep running, right? Right. And then that fracture gets bigger and bigger and bigger and doesn't heal properly. So great example, my left foot, I got uh, a fracture from repeated road marching. Mm-hmm. And I talk about this in the book too, um, that never healed. Never. Just never healed. So I kept, ever since 19, about 1986, I kept Chronically, I would notice during periods where I was doing like a lot of walking or whatever yeah. in selection, it's like, ah, I get this one pain in this one spot on my foot. Right. You know, but I just, I modify, you know, I, sure. you know, I supinate or Tipped pronate a little right bit. Yeah. yeah. And it goes away and I deal with it. 
and it got to be more and more and more of a problem. And then um, we were talking about Sharana. So I was in Sharana on deployment. And you remember that uh, golf ball gravel that you had that mm-hmm. was in that whole compound. Every day when we would leave the case band to go somewhere, my fucking feet were killing me. And I was wearing really light boots on that deployment. I had two pair. I had a pair of heavier boots that I would wear on cold nights out. But typically day to day, I was wearing pretty right. light boots, right? And I'm like, man, this is really bothering me. And there was an orthopedist there and I asked him about it. He said, it sounds like you got a neuroma on your foot. You should probably get it looked at. So I, a neuroma is just, it's like a thickening in a nerve sheath. Oh, okay. Right? Okay. So, you, right. You, and, and it basically ends up being almost like you have a rock under the skin, oh, right? Yeah. Because it's a reactionary, it's like a callus. Right. And then o- over time, it's, it stops helping and starts being an impediment. And that's basically what he was describing. So uh, I kicked the can down the road for a few more years because I didn't want to stop jumping. I didn't want to stop deploying. And then finally, I went to a podiatrist. And uh, x-rays didn't show anything. They did an MRI. And they said, you have an, an unhealed fracture that's completely worn smooth. Like just, it must be really old. When do you think this happened? And I said, I know exactly when it happened. I was on, I was on the back part of Honey, Hunter Army Airfield on a forced march in 1986. And that's when I first started feeling this. And they're like, well, that's when you did it. So that's how long this has been going on. And yes, you do have an aroma. We can take it out, but you're just going to get another one. And what they advised is uh, they gave me some inserts for my boots. Right. I tried those for a while. They were a little bit too stiff. So mm. I'm just careful in how I select my shoes. So it'll now. never heal. Nope. Huh. It's, it's, it's a thing. It's done. They said yeah. the only thing they could do was do a fixation that would go in through my toe and then my toe wouldn't bend. I would have one toe that wouldn't yeah, bend. That wouldn't be good. And I said, I do yeah. a lot, you know, when I'm doing jujitsu on the mat barefoot, like right. what's in there, like, oh yeah, that would be bad. Right. And I said, okay, then I don't want that. So I'll notice, and these are just medical questions for me. So hopefully everybody <laughs> really just zones the fuck out. But so when I, I'll notice this thing in my right, in my right foot where mm-hmm. I'll wear um, sandals. A mm-hmm. portion of the summer, I'll wear like flip flops or, you know, some variant. And then I'll wear ultras, which are really wide footbed running shoe. But then I'll go to like, when I go back to my hunting boot mm-hmm. and things start to tighten up, mm-hmm. it feels like when you're, when, when my bones get closer together in my foot, mm-hmm. it'll create almost like a, uh, a pain in between the bones. Yeah. That it's so fucking excruciating. And I don't know what that is. I yeah. don't know like what that's from. But I used to get it every now and again. You remember when you get a fresh pair of fucking boots back in the day and you you hadn't like, you know, you had to break them in. Wear them in the shower. Just, oh, God. But yeah, I remember that. Whereas like before I'd, they start tearing everything out of my jungle boots and like basically making running shoes out of them. Yeah. Like I would have the same problem back in the day. Is that like yeah. a nerve problem? You might have an aroma between oh. the bones there. Interesting. It could also be if we did an, so if, if we, do, if I do an x-ray of anybody's feet in this room, right. you're going to have these little, we call them sesamoid bones. Mm-hmm. So there's these little just bones kind of floating around there and they're in various places. Sometimes one of those in a key location will right. cause you to have issues as well. But everybody has them. So it's not, you can't 100% say that that's what it is. There's a lot of things that like, so like uh, I guarantee everybody in this room has herniated discs too. Mm -hmm. So like when people go, well, I have, I can't, I have this and this because I have a herniated disc. Like literally it's an astronomical number. It's like 80% of adults have at least one herniated disc. But only, 
only about 25% are symptomatic. So there's a lot of things that we all have. Right. So like just because I see it on an x-ray doesn't mean, oh, that's the culprit right. because I can line up 100 of your peers and 80 of them are going to have the same thing on their on their x-ray. So is, it's a little bit difficult to is say. It the same kind of, I was talking to somebody about this the other day. There's this these two injuries, but they all start with blown out. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I blew out my knee. That's why yeah, I yeah. never did that. Or, I, yeah. or blew out my back. Yeah. And like, I'm always like, what did the doctor say to you yeah. when you had this injury? Like, yeah. did he say that you blew out your knee? Because I don't know what the fuck that means. Yeah, because it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. yeah. Right. So it's, yeah, it's, it makes it sound like there's some capsule that just exploded. Boom. Yeah. Like, yeah. Ah, blew that out. So, yeah, I think some people, it's like, I think it basically a torn ACL, right. ACL, PCL, LCL, MCL. Basically, that's come to be equated with that term fucking yeah. blown out knee. The, other, the the one that drives me nuts is is uh, slipped disc. Yeah, what is that? <laughs> so there isn't such thing as a slipped right. disc. So what there is is a herniated disc. Right. So the disc cannot slip. It's really really well adhered to the vertebrae so it just, above it doesn't and below. Pop out. Yeah, it's the disc doesn't slip. Got it. What happens is the uh, the center of that. Right. So the, what they call the nucleus propulsus. Right. That's what HMP stands for: herniated nucleus propulsus. Right. So you have this this nucleus in the middle of that disc and you're squeezing it, squeezing it, squeezing it and the the side of the disc will start to weaken and you'll get like a little bulge there where it Mm -hmm. starts to come through and usually that's pushing on a nerve. So that's a thing. Mm -hmm. So a herniated disc, I have four of them, that's a thing. A slip disc, because a slip disc leads you to believe that, oh, the disc slipped. So with a little bit of back cracking, I can slide it back in. Which is important because do you believe in chiropractors? I do believe in chiropractors. So uh, it's, it, it, I am not an anti, there are, there are MDs and DOs that are anti-chiropractor. I am not. I know, that's why I'm asking you Yeah, question. no, no, no. There's some, yeah. I, I've, I went to a chiropractor for a while. Right. I ultimately, the last chiropractor I went to was the best because he even told me, he goes, all right, here's the deal. He goes, I'm not one of these chiropractors that you're going to see me once a week for the rest of your life. I'm the chiropractor that you're going to do, I'm going to adjust you, but you're also going to do all the exercises I make you do. Right. And you're going to get better and you're, you're never going to have to see me again. He was a retired SEAL chief. He went to chiropractic school in the GI Bill. Nice. Um, and he was working in Lima, Peru. And this is where I saw him. And he gave me a series of like 12 exercises to do. Um, and he's like, I want you to do these every morning. And I said, is it better if I do them morning and night? He said, yep. And I said, then that's what I'm going to do. And I did those exercises religiously uh, over about a 60-day period, and I haven't had any issues since. Now, when I get start to get a minor issue, I just go back and I do a few of those exercises. I do some yoga. I do some some foam rolling and stuff like that, and I'm better. But um, there's a, a pretty well-known chiropractor. I'll give a shout-out to him in Albuquerque, New Mexico, named Bo Hightower. And he's got a background. That's his in, real name. That's his real name, oh, Bo wow. Hightower. I like that. Um, yep. Cool guy. He'd, he'd probably, you'd like him. He's, he's, uh, he works with a lot of UFC fighters. Um, has a pretty big internet following. And Bo has a background in physical therapy. Mm. And Bo and I see eye to eye on, we we converse on social media all the time. We see eye and eye on, on a lot of things. Where you got to watch it, when chiropractors start to say things like, and he is not one of them, right? But there are some who will say things like, well, I can cure allergies. Or I'm going to give you vaccination advice. Mm. Those, you know, those are chiropractors you want to kind of stay away from. You know, the, the chiropractors that say, well, we know all these things that, that MDs don't know, right? Because they don't get education in this. I had a, a chiropractor like, try to try to tell me it, it was we were talking about something very specific, and it's a complication of chiropractic manipulation. 
And this guy swore to me up and down that it was like non-existent. Like, no, 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 that never happens. And I like sent him like three scholarly articles saying it 100% does happen. And he said, that, that's not because of chiropractors. That's because of MDs trying to do what we do. And I'm like, come on, dude. Like you're, you're grasping at straws now. Right. And I won't get into the rabbit hole of exactly what we were talking about, but it had to do with neck manipulation. But um, I do believe in chiropractors. Again, it's, but it, you know, there's good MDs, there's bad MDs. There's good mm. DOs, there's bad DOs. There's good chiro- DCs and there's bad DCs. There's good and bad dentists, sure. orthodontists, everything else, right? So it's, if in anything, if it sounds too good to be true, it's too good right. to be true. So if somebody is making some outrageous claims to you that like, you're the, they're the only provider you you need to see. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the key to unlocking your fucking chakra and everything else they have, that's not somebody you want to go to, but somebody, you know, a, a good chiropractic adjustment goes a long way. And uh, it's, it's not just placebo. No, it's not placebo. And that's, I, I tend to believe there was a, a Joe Rogan did uh, an episode. You've been on his podcast, mm-hmm. of course. He did an episode where he, uh, it was a very anti-chiropractic, I guess you would say, episode where he had a woman that he was interviewing and she'd done a lot of research on chiropractic and Rogan has too. And uh, it's, I understand everything that they talked about in that, right? But uh, what's important, and this got brought up in that podcast was, you know, that you'll find that like, like Bo, who I was talking about, chiropractors who come from a physical therapy background are really useful, mm-hmm. and they they know a lot, right? Because uh, you know it's it's much like you know somebody had a, a master's in kinesiology before going to med school and then became a sports medicine doctor. Right. They already have so much background in that that uh, they know a lot of these things that are going to help you. And chiropractic manipulation, um, you know, it we sit in poorly designed ergonomic chairs in right now when we're driving everything else. Mm-hmm. We, we move around in ways that we were never designed to. And sometimes you need a little bit of help to kind of realign everything. Right. And uh, undoubtedly, I mean, it's, do deep, does a deep tissue massage feel awesome? Yes. Does a good chiropractic manipulation feel awesome? Fucking A, yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, uh, I was having really bad lower back problems when I first got to seventh crew. And I would go and they'd put the ultrasound on my back just to get the muscles relaxed enough that they could manipulate me. You know, and ultimately what I figured out again is that I had to do some exercises to strengthen my paraspinous muscles and my accessory muscles to the point that I didn't need that anymore. But uh, I'm, you know, so circling back, long story short, I'm not anti-chiropractor. I'm anti any any medical provider that makes unsubstantiated claims about Mm -hmm. outrageous things that they can do and cure. That's not a person that that I think you should see. But what about acupuncture? What do you think of that? Yeah, acupuncture. That's again, that's been tested against uh, against in trials, right? In uh, I don't know, I want to say blinded trials, but in you know controlled trials, and it's yeah. been shown to be beneficial. Um, I had an interaction recently with someone who does. It's such a silly argument that I can't even remember which person was which. But what's the difference between dry needling and acupuncture? Because those two communities like how, hate each other. How it builds. Seriously? Like, but yeah, a lot of them. Dry yeah. needling has an ICD code <laughs> that you can bill at a regular hospital. Acupuncture doesn't. What's, what's the difference? There is no difference. Really? That I'm aware of, there is no difference. Huh. So I've never done dry needling, but I have done what's called trigger point injections, which is, you know, people will come in with back problems. Yeah. A lot of, uh, you know, um, uh, a lot of, of uh, 
muscle spasm secondary to that. And I'll find trigger points and inject, and I've injected, I've done it with small amounts of lidocaine. I've also done it with nothing more than normal saline. And sometimes just having some fluid in that space to kind of redirect that pressure gives you that release. I mean, it either, you know, it's, I equate it to this. Have you ever had like a pain, like maybe you got a pain in your arm, but you find a spot in your neck that if you put your finger there, I don't feel the pain in my arm anymore. Mm. So, I mean, it's the same thing as that. You know, we're, di- we're disrupting uh, this, the, the neurological signals of that pain is all, is all ions, right? It's all, you know, diffusing, uh, you know, uh, through the synapsis of the, of the neurons, right? So if we can disrupt that at some point in the chain, right. either mechanically or chemically, it's going to have an impact, you know, and chemically the way we do that is typically with, you know, pain relieving drug, you know, we can do a local anesthetic or a narcotic, right. but you can also do it mechanically, mm-hmm. you know, but there's literally no difference other than the name. Not, not to my knowledge, somebody, yeah. you know, somebody can, can Just email they, us and correct, correct me if I'm wrong, but to my knowledge, there's no difference between dry, dry needling. I know when I worked at, at uh, Darnell, cause I, I was on the credentialing committee. So we would credential people to do dry needling and people in the, uh, in the, uh, the uh, in PrevMed and in physical medicine and rehabilitation, or not PrevMed, but yeah, physical medicine and rehabilitation that worked in that clinic, whether they were uh, MDs, DOs, PAs, NPs, they would get certified in doing and doing dry needling. So, yeah, because I've uh, done both, and like I've left feeling great both times. Yeah, and couldn't really tell you what the difference was. Yeah, yeah, it's there's a lot of there's a lot of non-Western medicine out there that has benefits. So I used to be very much. Uh, I used to really laugh at cupping. I didn't see any advantage to that. Yeah, that's a good that's a good question because now, I've heard it's total bullshit. I did it uh, six months ago. Yeah. It was like back issues. It's like I don't care. I'm here. Yeah. I'm at, I so, might as well try it. Did you get a benefit from it? I couldn't tell any difference. Yeah. I got bruises that lasted like six months. Yeah, so, so it gives you those hickeys, right? Yeah. yeah. So does does cupping suck toxins out of your body into that cup? No fucking way. Right. Absolutely it seems not. Total, doesn't fucking total do bullshit. that, yeah. right? But does it provide heat, mm. okay, warmth, right, and suction, thereby increasing blood flow, right, thereby possibly bringing in yeah. more, uh, you know, cytokines, more, I don't know, you know, uh, leukocytes to the area to aid in tissue repair, quite possibly, you know, I mean. You put Bengay on something, it feels better, right? You put heat, you get in a hot bath, it feels better. So there's no reason that, that cupping, at least uh, subjectively, is going to give you some release, you know, it, relief. But it's, again, when we hear, oh, it sucks the toxins out. And it's like, okay, now, now, you're, now you're in fucking fantasy land. No, right. it doesn't do that. Yeah, I've, I've, I've heard that. When I hear that, I'm like, how is that fucking possible? Like, yeah. how, how is it possible? So it, it obviously devalues it. I know. I'll try whatever. I mean, most of the time it's just like, okay, who cares? If you're, if it's, if there's limited to zero negative side effects from doing something, mm-hmm. like yoga is a good example. Yeah. It's like, I really enjoy doing hot yoga. I like it. Yeah. It makes, makes my body feel great. Yeah. But I'm sweating profusely. Yeah. Which is, you know, I, I, I never think that that's a bad thing for your body. To no, I don't either. Just, you know, cycling through uh, liquid. So if you're drinking, you know, a gallon of water the night before, and then you go in and you you do an hour and a half session. And you're stretching and providing strength and, and mobility. There's nothing wrong with it, right? Nope. It's like, eh, whatever, yeah. man. It's it's fine. So some of these things that 
you try. I think a lot of guys, they're reluctant to even try them because there's maybe some counter argument or counter information out there that's like, ah, it's just kind of uh, snake oil or whatever it might be. Like CBD is another good one. Uh, everybody and their brother seems to have a fucking CBD company mm-hmm. or a CBD like program or protocol. Yeah. And I'm, like, I'm, I'm going to. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, so that's, I, that's, I take CB now, CBD now and I'm going to be adding it as one of my, I have two supplements in my line now with that plan for seven. Is, is what's the difference? Like, mm-hmm. because I've heard cold processed, I've heard different forms of processing. And then I've also mm-hmm. heard like, you got to take X amount and you can't do it with this and you can't do it with that. I'm like, yeah. It's so fucking confusing, man. I, I don't even know where to begin. Like how much to take, why to take it, where to buy it from. Like I don't yeah. know shit. And it's not a, like, a, it, this isn't an assist, by the way. It's a legitimate question because right. I don't fucking know anymore. There's so much CBD out there. I'm like, how much do you take? I haven't gotten far enough. So I've, I've, I've read the studies that show, you know, benefit uh, for certain things like uh, anxiety, inflammation, sleep. Right, that you know, uh, overall feelings of wellness. A lot of studies out there that that have been controlled studies, clinical trials that have shown benefit. As far as the in the weeds questions, like you're talking about, I don't have answers to those yet, and that's why um, uh, a good friend of mine uh, that I was a physician at, at Womack with, uh, Kamal Kelsey, uh, he's it was the first Sikh physician in in DoD, and uh, he. Uh, he has a CBD company now and I'm going to be partnering with him because I trust Kamala and I know that he's done a lot of the research and I'm going to be trusting him to educate me on a lot of that stuff to bring me up to speed before I bring that to market as a, as a private label as part of my supplement line. Um, but there is a benefit to it. Right. And it, again, this is another one of those things that gets muddled, right? Because the, the, the diehard CBD, THC people will hold up a lot of stories that are just factually inaccurate, right? You'll see like, oh, this kid had, uh, this, this, is, this is one that comes to mind. This kid had um, was it leukemia or lymphoma, I don't remember which. And his chest was full of tumors and his mom gave him THC and within 24 hours, all the tumors are gone. Completely impossible. Right. First of all, it, and I don't remember which cancer this guy had, but it was a non-tumor cancer, <laughs> right? To begin with, so he didn't. There's no way that he had tumor. Now, might he have had some reactive lymph nodes? Sure. And the anti-inflammatory, maybe that's what it is. But this story has been passed down again and again and again. That oh, in 24 hour, it's like okay, think of the laws of you know something has this much mass. You can't just dissolve something in your body. You know, you know, other than taking a shit and getting rid of it, right? Something that's physically in your body, like a tumor, that's say this big, you can't magically dissolve that in 24 hours and it just goes somewhere. I mean, that's just not going to happen. It's physiologically impossible. So a, a lot of these urban legends slash internet legends slash wives tales get perpetuated on the internet about these outlandish claims. And then somebody who comes along like you, who is reasonable and wants the factual stuff and it well, okay, all that sounds way too good to be true. So you have to kind of, much much like we've seen with the last couple of years with COVID, is you got to live in the middle here on Sanity Island right. and go, that sounds, what you're saying on that side sounds fucking crazy and doesn't make sense. And what you're saying over here sounds crazy and doesn't make sense, right? right? So with the CBD, THC, it's the same. You know, the people that boo it completely, okay, yeah, there is data. And then the people that like, oh, it's, Literally, it will cure anything. Yeah. So to go back to the SF, there's everyone, 
almost weekly, somebody will go, hey, I've got such and such. Any, any advice? And there's two or three of you guys who are like, start smoking weed. Like, <laughs> like that's like, no matter what's wrong yeah, start, with you. Start smoking weed. It's fine. Start matter. smoking weed. That'll yeah, fix that's, it. That's, that's going to fix it. Yeah. I mean, well, it's medical. Big Pharma for- doesn't want you to yeah. know. Yeah, Big Pharma doesn't <laughs> want you to know about weed. Constitution's you know? written on hemp. It's like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is which is again. So that's partly true. Partly, the original yeah. Constitution is not, right. or was it? Or was Constitution the Declaration of Independence? I don't remember. But one of them, a copy is written on hemp paper, but the original, the one that you right. go and is in the glass case, yeah. the one that Nicholas Cage wants, right? That one's not on hemp. Yeah, or or George Washington was a pot farmer. It's like, well, I mean. There's a lot of people in the agriculture community if, if, would grow hemp for a wide variety of reasons, getting, but hemp was a non, like it's a sterile form of the product. <laughs> they were like growing weed out there in their tie dyes, like so you know, going out to are, Humboldt County. It was like, yeah, man, they were growing it for fiber, like totally different circumstance. They're but. getting their uh, their history lessons from Matthew McConaughey movies. Yeah, uh, yeah, you know, Martha I, Washington well, was a hip, hip yeah, lady, man. Fucking, well, that, look that, at Washington State. It was the goes, state, man. Because well, there's a line in that right movie there. where he says, uh, "Yeah, man, they all thought it'd be a good cash crop for the southern states." Yeah, you know, they were all into weed back then. Yeah, that's they're into hemp, but totally different. I it's always, like saying that you're into mules, you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, or like mules and and horses are the same. They're de- definitely not. I, there's a lot of medical. Th- folklore, which I yeah. think is really interesting because just like humans in general, like my dad will come in, you know, and I hear this all the time, like conspiracy theory stuff. You know, it's like, well, I'll tell you what, it's that Illuminati, you know, and you're like, ah, I don't think the Illuminati is trying to push uh, electric cars on you guys. I'm just I'm <laughs> throwing that out there. You know, I don't think they have anything against, you know, the Volvo as a company or a manufacturer. Well, I'll tell you what, yeah, uh, uh, you know, uh, Volkswagen, that's uh, that was funded by Hitler's gold. Now yeah, yeah. everybody knows that. You don't know that, dummy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I people, actually, people that believe in the Illuminati have way too much confidence in the competency yeah. of other human beings, or yeah. just way too much confidence in people's ability to keep a fucking secret. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's it. so. The, so this was a conversation that I had with somebody. Was uh, we were talking about talking about the whole the whole COVID thing. And, and a comment was made like, this is a, this is a dry run. COVID's just a dry run. The next one, like th- this is a, to see what they can get yeah. away with. And this is the next yeah. one. And I'd be like, look, man, if you've ever been involved in anything with the government, we can't remember what packing list we took to fucking JRTC three fucking years ago. Right. You think honestly, we can plan that far in advance? It's the, the level of, Mistrust and trust that they have in the government at the same time is it's confusingly hypocritic, yeah. hypocritical. Because when you look at it, and you're like, at one point you're saying the government is so incompetent, but it also has the ability to keep these secrets right. for you know decades on end. You know, I, I would have these people, and it's so funny they'd come up to me because if they like once I was out of the CIA for a number of years, people come up to me like, hey, bro. So tell me, are there aliens? I'm like, okay, first and foremost, I don't know what you think. They just like, there's 28,000 people that work there. Right. Like, are they just like, oh, these 28,000 people, listen up. Welcome to the CIA. 
Aliens are over there. The guy who killed JFK, he's down the hall. Uh, yeah. This is the whole CIA museum. This is where all the secrets are. We just open up all the files. There you go. Hey, I know you're here to sweep the floor, but everybody's got to know about the aliens here right. first. Before we do anything, we're going to set this tone. And I'm like, no, I don't know. You know? Well, it's like I, I saw you. I think, it, I think it was on this podcast that you were talking about. We're always wondering where that other CIA was. I wish. That was all there high tons. speed and fucking had all those cool yeah. secrets, right? I mean, yeah. the Soviets are the, well, I, I mean, the Russians, you know, because uh, Soviets, well, they are basically the same. It's all, it's all because it's, of all, it's all these Hollywood tropes, right? Yeah. So the Hollywood trope too, the, you always have the Hollywood trope and it's, it's probably most, where you see it the most is in zombie movies. Yeah. That the moment the military gets a chance, they're just going to fucking take over fucking yeah, everything. Take over. And they're going to put you in fucking camps and abuse <laughs> their, this fucking E4 National Guard is going to be, yeah. is going to dub himself mayor of this town and be abusing yeah. his authority. Yeah. When, you know, it's... Like yeah, they no. can barely organize themselves to go fill sandbags that, for a flood, motherfuckers. Like, was come on. I actually, yeah. like, during the beginning of COVID, like, you know, uh, units from, I think, Fort Lewis were going to... NTC down by yeah, 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 yeah. So in order to do that, they put their gear, their heavy, you know, the oh, on, on no. a rail headline, and it goes from north to south yeah. to Barstow yeah, yeah, on yeah. trains. And right. that's People all are, over fucking social media. Government's yeah. invading LA. Yeah. yeah. There's tanks. You see tanks coming. People take a video like, oh, so in, instead of like gassing them up and, you know, putting rounds and crews on them, they decided to do the invasion on a fucking train. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah. I, well, there's that annual exercise that we've done forever. Uh, Jade Helm? Yeah. Yes. And yeah. oh my gosh, man, the tinfoil hats and yeah. what they fucking, like, what they come up with. Yeah. I was talking to one of my buddies. He was, uh, he's the direct liaison between, uh, I think it's like FEMA or one of those government organizations, but their entire, their entire command organization is about major national disasters and how mm-hmm. the military specifically plugs in and helps. Like, how do we mobilize this extremely effective, you know, logistics force, mm-hmm. both manpower and capabilities in order to directly plug into a community and then, you know, provide help. In a circumstance like Salt Lake, that's where he was and we were talking about it. You have... Uh, even outside of LA, I think it's it has the most uh, uh, earthquakes, you know, per year than any other place in America with population density. And then it sits on top of uh, the under what, what is it like the Yellowstone super volcano or whatever, mm-hmm. right? So you got all these different things that you know, people are planning for. And granted, we should be really uh, encouraging them to be planning for these national disasters because right? we also don't want to be caught flat-footed. So when you look at, you know, the military coming in and, and interfacing with a community like Salt Lake, because if we have a major earthquake, we're talking about over, overpasses collapsing. And not only that, he was telling me that there is a scenario in which the fault line shifts and the, the lake creates a tidal wave mm-hmm. that then sweeps into Salt Lake or at least past the airport and then could go up to, you know, something like eight feet in Salt Lake. We were talking about that. He was talking about the conspiracy theorists and the way that they're talking about it. It's like, the military has a plan to go into martial law if there's an earthquake in Salt Lake. And he's like, we're, we're, we're literally just talking about how do we figure out how to you know, come in and provide logistics and support to evacuate families and 
coordinate, you know, quite literally medical support, but it's like martial law. That's, that's as soon as, as soon as anybody sees the military, it's like martial law, we're going into work. And it's like, and people- You want for, those people there, man. And people also that have those conspiracy theories in their head, they forget that like, I have a mom and dad and a brother that are like Americans that like- Yeah, yeah. If, if, if there was martial law somewhere, I wouldn't like come in and start, you know, fucking down my family. And, right. You yeah. know, everybody comes from somewhere. Yeah. And we didn't all get grown on a fucking, in a camp from being babies <laughs> to, right. to be this like long arm of the conspiracy law, you know? Well, and it, if you look at, so Hurricane Katrina. Yeah, exactly. Local authorities, yeah, all, they were, all of a sudden got really worried about armed people coming in. So right. they were doing this, like the contractors that were coming in and they're like, mm-hmm. hey, it's the Wild West, so we're taking guns. And, they, and yeah, they legitimately, there was some illegal gun confiscation that went on. Was the military and National Guard doing that? No. No, it was local authorities that were doing it. So, you know, to say that the military is going to, you're going to tell me that you're going to get some E4 in the National Guard and you're going to tell him, hey, go confiscate weapons. That's just not, like you say, now, number one, he's probably, these are, you know, his cousins, his, you know, people that he went to high school with. Mm-hmm. Um, or can you imagine like, like, but people think that, that Delta Force is going to get the orders or something and go out and be like, listen, you know what we heard? Jed Smith has a 12-gauge shotgun. And is uh, <laughs> we need to mobilize Delta Force to go yeah. out there and grab that shotgun. Well, and this gets perpetuated. I'm not going to mention any names, but there were people saying when Ferguson went down, there was a, oh, here's some dudes standing around, a, some dudes who look military standing around a car with North Carolina plates. Right. Delta Forces in Ferguson. <laughs> yeah. And like you can take they one look. Their POVs. They drove their POVs. Yeah, you take one look at the guys in that picture and you're like, none of those guys are Delta. Right. No fucking way. No fucking way. No fucking way. Yeah. In fact, PSYOPs even seems doubtful. <laughs> In fact, North Carolina National Guard seems doubtful. Who knows? Yeah. But I've got, um, I've got one more question. Okay. Okay. So what's the name of your podcast? Where can people find you? And where can they buy your book? So well, this uh, is a series of questions. Yeah. The, the podcast hair. is called Mind of the Warrior. Okay. Um, I try to come out weekly. I promise I'm going to do bit better about that in 2022. So 2021 was a bad year for me and the number of episodes that I put out. Uh, I'm on social media. I'm on Instagram, uh, Dr. Mike Simpson, D-R-M-I-K-E-S-I-M-P-S-O-N. Uh, also, Graybeard Performance is my company. Yeah, that's right. So yeah. Graybeard Performance is a life, life and lifestyle company for dudes over 40, still want to fucking kick ass and be savages. So it's uh, the the... The lifestyle brand revolves around my Greybeard Performance supplement line, of which I have two supplements now, adding a third uh, early 2022. And hopefully by the end of 2022, I'll have all seven of my supplements out. And my book, as you mentioned, is Honed, Finding Your Edge as a Man Over 40. It's available uh, barnesandnoble.com, walmart.com, Amazon, uh, Goodreads, any place that you can buy books right. online. It's downloadable and you can get soft copy uh, or, or uh, softback. It's uh, done real well. I was on like, I was number one on like eight different uh, of the Amazon lists for a while. I'm still up there. Nice. Over 10,000 copies sold, almost 200 reviews, most of them five star. So cool. it's, uh, I think it's made a difference to people. And it's, uh, I go through everything from sleep, nutrition, um, exercise plans, um, finding a tribe of like-minded individuals, right. keeping yourself accountable, all that stuff. Well, I will read it. Uh, and I'll report back. But you should absolutely follow Mike, follow everything he does. Um, take a look at his books. Uh, take a look at Greybeard. Take a look at 
everything he's got going on. It's very interesting. Plus, he did Medivac. Uh, was that a couple months ago? Yeah, a couple ago? months ago. Yeah, so that episode of Medivac went up. That was actually why I was like, I listened to it and I was like, why isn't this dude been on my podcast? And that's when I hit him up. I was like, bro, why, why aren't you on my podcast? So uh, follow him, check him out. Hopefully we'll have him again because it's been a great conversation. Thanks, man. That concludes today's training. Any questions? Woo! Drum titties, boy!